everybody, I'm Nico. And I'm Tori. And welcome to the Billy Club. It's amazing. I love that there's like stuff. I didn't want to say my own stuff because you can like look down and you can see my stuff right below me. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but repping Daredevil Yellow on my side, Daredevil Red on Tori's side. It feels good. There's so many costumes. Let's fucking pick from them. You know what I mean? Woo! And of course, we have our incredible uh, Billy Clubist, our Kevo producer extraordinaire running everything behind the scenes, giving us all of this beautiful visual uh, here to celebrate the fact that this might be a Daredevil issue on the outside, Daredevils 16 and 17. But it's all Spider-Man inside, guys. Gotta wear the red to rep both. Thwip, thwip. I am so excited to be here, Tori. It is so much fun uh, taking a look at like more Spider-Man Daredevil. I don't know. I get, I get like a special feeling from this combo of people. Oh, I love it. I, it's, like, it's like big brother, little brother kind of stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. Cute. And there's so much in this particular story that I cannot wait to dive into, like some really specific stuff that both hit me really well and hit me a little rough. But the main thing that I walked away from this issue with is feeling like I can understand why with so few appearances together, so many fans in the 60s so associate these two as BFF. It's true. It's true. And I think it helps that like they're both those these Manhattan kind of street level fighters at this point. Um, they're both really what some of the few that are still hiding their identities. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's an interesting thing because they both fight smart. They both fight strong. And I really I really do feel like they're both just like like Daredevil's a slightly older version of Peter and Peter's a slightly more daring version of our Daredevil. I get that. I totally get that. There's so many beautiful balances between the two of them that I think make them both seem so well matched. There's ways in which they feel falsely swapped at times mm. where I'm like, Daredevil, you're behaving a little bit more like a kid and Spider-Man, you're behaving a little bit more like the adult here. I'm not sure exactly because you know stan lee was the guy writing all of this just to mention really quick we have daredevil numbers 16 and 17 written by the unforgettable stan lee we're also going to be taking a look at some beautiful art by john ramita and frankie ray now issue 16 has letters by Artie simic but issue 17 has letters by sam rosen otherwise you're looking at an unbelievably similar creative team now kevo I just want to, you know, big time out there for Kevo, who is doing a beautiful job with these graphics. This cover, number 17, is so special to me because it was for the longest time in my life, my earliest Daredevil comic. So I have like a 3.2 condition copy of Daredevil 17. And so in my head, that's what the Masked Marauder looks like, this weird color swap. And, you know, I always think of the giant Spidey, <laughs> the giant Spidey light in the background and how you can put Spider-Man in the book without making it Spider-Man's cover. And yeah. I have a lot of really fond feelings for this two-parter. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where I was approaching it and I was like, this is an interesting plot choice because so much of it is just to get us to the point where we could have these two fighting on the cover. 
Yeah. But for me, I'm not even sure that that's Daredevil on the cover. It's such a weird angle. It's such a weird look for Matt that to and me. And he's like, kind of like, yeah. Okay. To me, it almost feels like this is one of the uh, copies that we'll get into. Wow. I love that. So then technically, there's no Daredevil on this Daredevil cover. Right. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And, and even on the, um, the inner cover page, like, he's, he's throwing weird. He's in a weird stance for the way that he throws. It's, it's just, it's very not how Matt approaches things. That's an incredible read. I feel like I missed that completely. I missed that iconography. And, you know, we're seeing phantasmagoric penciling coming together from John Romita, who is actually better known for his Spider-Man in every discernible way. That is his character. He's the guy that took over for Ditko, or it was at least soon thereafter. Romita is known for Spider-Man. He's not known for Daredevil. So getting him here but getting i mean frankly spider-man looks better the whole issue not anything against ramita's daredevil but spider-man looks better the whole issue you can just tell who he's more comfortable drawing you really can but i will also say that the amount of work going in to make sure that you know that this group of daredevils duplicates their faces are very different from matt's they have a whole lot more like expression and features under the mask that I think um, really does sell it that like, we're like, okay, this is not Matt. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's such a great take. Now, Mask Marauder doesn't really represent like any great huge thing in Marvel. You know, he will go on to have something like 12 appearances maybe, but you know, he's not, He's not an epic character like, you know, Hornhead here. And there are other Marauder, Mask Marauder kind of characters. But I think the big thing about this story is, number one, I am so excited for a Spider-Man team-up. It's crazy. But number two, the way Matt uses the media machine to get his way yet again is starting to become the mighty Murdoch Manor. And I'm really impressed because this is something we see continue on to the Jester's appearances and we'll see versus Bullseye. We're going to see these tropes used against his villains so consistently. It reminds me why Daredevil is so smart. Yeah, I really do feel like um, Daredevil has a, is much more part of the swinging 60s, whereas sometimes Spider-Man can feel a little still caught in the like early 60s, Donna Reeve, leave it to Beaver, late 50s kind of vibe. I totally get that. Yeah, Peter Parker, as a kid of the 60s, written by a guy who was significantly older, it's hard not to think of Peter Parker as an older person's interpretation of youth, although he's drawn so huge here. Peter Parker in this issue, he's fucking huge and like they go out of their way to say how much stronger than daredevil he is all the time sorry about it maddie boy it's true and i wonder spider strength the proportional strength of a spider which is you know i guess one of those things where like you used to be able to get away with sentences like that proportional strength of a whatever proportional strength of a whatever because i don't think we really understood certain things now don't get me wrong you know 
ants has proven <laughs> that <laughs> ant men are really strong and you know walking down the street thwipping and then man man i just one more time so cool so nice to get a little bit more spidey this issue i just love them as best friends yeah. so much it's just it like not in a dumb way but kind of like in a dumb way it's why i love doing this with you so much that it's specifically not just always about experiencing the thing you love alone because Matt, finally, there's that line where all I could do is think of you, where Matt's like, oh, gosh, finally, the air on my face, feeling free, swinging through. He's finally dissociating Daredevil from Matt, where they're like two separate identities for him, finally. He's not one guy doing both. He's two people. And I feel like, you know, that opportunity to discuss, like, I can't even imagine if Peter is ever like, yeah, man, have you ever just taken a corner wrong when you're when you're swinging? And Matt's like, the other day, I grabbed my billy club around what I thought was a gargoyle, but it was a flagpole, and I fell, and it wasn't graceful. And like, can you imagine them getting to have that conversation? Like, the rom- like I romanticize it so much. Yeah, I definitely want like sassy young Peter or Miles Morales to run into like the the super like guilt trodden like daredevil guy who takes it so seriously and you're just like you need to lighten up and you kid you need to learn some maturity because these two things they're two halves of the same coin so you have to have that balance <laughs> and so i love this clip it is just absolutely one of my favorite things in the history of the marvel cinematic universe i am obsessed with it uh, producer extraordinaire Kevo just really uh, peeking in with the with the realness. Big fan. Now, I do have one big complaint about this story right away. And Tori, I don't know if you were there with me, but I mean literally right away. I loved that front page, and I did even think on that front page, like, why is Daredevil throwing a bottle at the wall? Yeah. But like, I was like, ooh, cool. We're starting in the middle. It's a good beat. Never mind. No, it's just the chance to to be like, I had two ideas for the cover and we went with that one, but this one will be over here. (laughs) That's exactly what I think it was. I think sometimes some of these front piece splashes are just what didn't make the cover. Uh, It's really hard to, because the weird superimposed nature of this cover for 16, you know, it's not that there's no details on those buildings, because if you go in, you can actually see, especially mm-hmm. on the digital where you can zoom or on, you know, the really nice presentation of the Omnibus edition. Because I just want to point out one more time, there are these beautiful digests that they're doing that are like digest size. They're 10 issues each. They're tiny. They're gorgeous. They look so Silver Age in all the ways that matter, you know. We're seeing the detail. We're seeing the quality work here. There's just some really weird coloration choices to the way it all sits together, to the way it all feels. I don't know. But yeah, it's not a, a complaint. Very, this is a very great cover for a series that always plays in very hyper bright colors. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. And there's something about the whoosh effects being in pure white in a way that delineates and cuts off so severely. Yeah, but it's a choice. 
but for me, the real coloration problems is the color TV for the blind man who can't see it. Ah, uh, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's for the others. I mean, sure, sure. But like, then you then we have to spend the whole time describing to him what's going on, as opposed to just enjoying showing it. I don't know. It's a I, I, it's an interesting choice when we know that they have a radio. If. I can for one moment, and mm -hmm. it's not that I don't think the digital does a beautiful job rendering it, but specifically I keep my digital and my omnibus open at the same time when I do these episodes so that I can see any ways the art might have changed here or there, any little changes they might have made. I can see where the indica might have been a little bit more clearly. There is something so charming about the color of the books on this bookcase it's a little bit more vibrant in person. The blue is a little bit more shocking. Mm -hmm. The purple has a little bit more red hue to it. But that with the wall, the green on Foggy, the red on Karen, the yellows that are all specifically different than the wall itself. Mm -hmm. There's a vibrancy to this book that I feel like we expect from books today mm -hmm. that we occasionally have trouble getting from books today. And there's still this beautiful transition to the fade effect, this very kind of like, you know, silver age look that I'm going for with my backdrop and the coloration I'm using mm -hmm. to try and create what's on this screen. And it's just masterful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it is really fun to be back in these colors. I really, really do enjoy them. Um, this was actually the first part where I was like, why is Spider-Man so big whenever he's in Daredevil's books? Like he is yeah. massive. And but. I'm not complaining mm -hmm. because I think that's a hotter look and it like helps me dissociate Spidey from being a child. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes it harder for me to understand why Aunt May is all up in his business, treating him like he's a colicky four-year-old. Mm, okay. Because, okay. I really get that. That's, that's a weird example of where I think we forget that you experience things differently based on your fandom and your experience and where you started. I come from it as like, and Aunt May's kind of, Peter, you're always getting up to trouble. Because he's always coming home bruised. But like, at the same time, that's every hero to me. You know, this issue, Foggy's like, Matt, you're looking kind of tired. And Matt's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, oh, Daredevil hasn't been around. And I'm just like, so what is Matt doing? Like, napping? Why does he look tired? Meanwhile, there are so many Daredevils in this issue. The Mask Marauder's <laughs> plan is a little ridiculous. I understand what they're going for, kind of. But one of the things that I always get into with these storylines is it requires so much that Daredevil matter. And outside of Daredevil, Daredevil doesn't matter. I think that's, it's really interesting because like, to me, if you, if you get past Daredevil, it's not like there are no other superheroes that are going to descend upon Manhattan. There's a million of them. And so like, what do you think you gain by like being the masked marauder and getting away against Daredevil? Like Spider-Man at the minimum is going to show up, you know, there's a, there's a, 
Power Guy and Iron Fist and like 15 Avengers. Like you're really not going to get that far. Completely. And I love your perspective on this page. I agree that they all look different than Daredevil. That's really cool because something we complain about is hyper consistency of faces being tricky at this point in time. So it's really great that they like leaned into that. These all look like different guys. Yeah. And, and, and then they blind one to make it, you know, thematic. I have in my notes, I really needed bad guys to stop thinking that hurting one of their own made them seem stronger. It makes you seem like you cannot manage your team. Yeah. This just makes you seem like a bad leader. Yeah. I would give you a bad report on your review. Yeah, and honestly, the workers' comp is going to be so expensive. Good luck. Because, like, I mean, I don't see him getting out of this paperwork anytime soon. He Seriously. probably has them all listed as, like, Daredevil 7, Daredevil 9, Daredevil 16. Yeah. Exactly. And I just, I don't know. I'm also so fascinated by what Foggy calls Daredevil that he calls him like Glamour Boy. Oh and I'm my just like, God. Foggy Nelson, you of the neon pink suits and green check ties. And like whatever, yeah. And your perfect hair and you're like chilling out. Like, what, what are you? What are you trying to say about this guy? Like, I, like who are you comparing him to? Because he looks well, just the same as the other ones. Meanwhile, Foggy looks gorgeous in this panel. I mean, he first does of look all. good. They're getting they're getting that into is... like making Foggy look different from Matt, and I think it's Thank going goodness. well. It's going well. And you're right. This has been, you know, you coming from the show a little sooner means you got that opportunity to like fall for foggy in a way where like, when you were like, I love foggy. I was like, why? (laughs) And you would be like, because the show and I'd be like, but there's 500 issues of bad, bad. (laughs) And you would be like, right. But that's not what I'm talking about. And I'd be like, I can't separate them. And like, I feel as though, your take on it's not even like just jealousy, but there's so many sixties like social politics at play here. The inherent, like I hate to use, but I can't find a better way to put it. The embarrassment he must feel that this blind guy keeps getting over him, Mm -hmm. keeps getting better than him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's not a slouch. No, he's not. He's not. And, like, we're going to get into it because Foggy's going to have a lot of self-doubt coming up. But, like, he's he is admittedly a catch. He is admittedly a good dude. And there's yes. no reason why he shouldn't be pulling left and right. Because even when they're, like, blah, 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 flabby, eventually we're going to see him in the suit. And it's not the worst. He's not like jacked, but he's not the worst. And he's so not jacked, but not the worst that Spider-Man can entertain that Foggy is Daredevil for a minute. He's not really sure how, but he can entertain it for a minute. And that's one of those things that I think is really important to remember when you're thinking about these kinds of stories where how can somebody not tell? Because like one of my big things is 
if Peter Parker is this big, every fucking kid in school is afraid of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like I would be wandering. Oh my god! I would be wandering through those through that streets and being like, "Little nerdy Peter Parker over there, Jesus fucking Christ!" Like, like how many sweaters? How many sweaters does he have to wear to hide those delts or whatever those are? Yes, I. I'm all of it though. Where is his neck? Look at his shoulders. That bicep is the size of Foggy. Period. So. It's something that's really interesting about the ways in which I wonder if at this exact moment in time, Peter is being drawn this big in Spider-Man. Because one of the things that we see here is a total role reversal of the things that made Amazing Spider-Man 16 kind of charming. Although I love that they're in each other's 16. That's so cute. I know. that right? made me, They're so sweet. It's a sweet 16 moment. It is. And they're best buddies. I love it. So, you know... The thing there was Spider-Man was like, gotta keep punching, can't stop punching, gotta keep punching, gonna punch, punch. But instead, we get here that Spider-Man's like, I'm gonna do the investigating. Like, I'm disappointed that Daredevil in this story is, with the exception of this panel where Spider-Man looks glorious, Daredevil is kind of the reasonable one in most of this story. I mean, I'm sorry, Spider-Man is kind of the reasonable one in most of this story. He's like, we have a thing, we have to get to it. Daredevil never considers that Spider-Man isn't evil, and he's the adult. Like, he's a lawyer. Why isn't he looking for evidence? I think they both kind of... I I would... I'm so fascinated by the idea that they both just jumped to. He's gone bad. And I'm like, do we have a history of our heroes going bad at this point in Marvel? Not yet. So then why is this the first thing they jump to? Like, is it the idea of absolute power corrupts absolutely? And so you have to always be, keep an eye out. Well, let me, let me ask you a question from your perspective. Cause I'm, I'm pitching this. Mm -hmm. I've never thought of this out really before, but what if we consider it? that almost all of these heroes have a someone in my life betrayed me moment early on or in their origin. So Maddie finds out that his dad's agent is a bad guy and is the fixer. Mm -hmm. Peter lets this guy go and it ultimately kills uncle Ben. And how many scientists in Peter's life are ultimately bad guys, perhaps in their line of work, for fear reasons, they hyper rely on the merit of my radar saves me, whether it's the spider sense or it's Daredevil's radar sense. My instinct, my gut is what keeps me alive. So if someone I've trusted is coming up against me, I have to be instinctive and try and stay alive. I guess, I guess, I, I guess I don't, I don't love it because that makes them <laughs> a lot more paranoid than they are generally portrayed. And I what think it's a Mark Wade comic. <laughs> and I also think that that means that they're not open to team ups and we know superheroes love a team up. And so if they're constantly feeling like they have to watch their back in case it's betrayal, like, you can you you, you won't want to team up as much, and it would also mean that Matt probably wouldn't think Electra was that hot of an idea, and Spider Man probably wouldn't think Black Cat was such a hot idea. So, 
Well, what's really funny is Daredevil ultimately thinks that Black Cat is a pretty hot idea, <laughs> and Spider-Man never thinks Elektra is a hot idea, ever. <laughs> I don't think anyone except for Matt does. I Everyone mean, else looks at that and she's is like, got a really good point. <laughs> she's got two of them. Six, maybe. Let's go to the movies, <laughs> right? Now, um, yeah. I know we've jumped around the story a bit, but I want to, the best that I can, show a panel from the the letters page of one of the issues. Now, in my handy-dandy Daredevil omnibus, uh, I'm also using this beautiful backdrop to simulate the incredible Chris Samney art of the Mark Wade run. And the panel I would like to show has a lot of yellow. So it, it this could go horribly wrong. But, yeah, it might go horribly wrong. But you can kind of see the Daredevil oh, yeah. shadow. No, love the shadow. Every time the shadow comes up, I'm like, mm, he gets hotter every time. <laughs> right? It's, it's so good. It looks so great. It is one of those things where, like, I was lucky enough to be having a conversation with one of our incredible contributors over on X's for Podcast, the partner show to this Daredevil podcast, where or Daredevil videocast, as it were, which Ooh. happens to be a podcast where we talk all about everything Marvel. And I was talking with longtime fan Steve, who can be found over at Howdy Duda on Twitter and Instagram. And Steve has been reading Silver Age books forever. And we were talking about how the letters pages are just so crazy that, like, you can't believe how many people, like, come for Jack Kirby in the letters pages of every book. And then once Jack Kirby's gone, all the letters start being like, Oh man, this guy sucks. Bring back Jack Kirby. And the only thing that's consistent between them is Stan Lee was responsible for putting them together. Was Stan Lee just negging all of the other people that he worked with with these letters pages? I was this the burn book? I swear to God, like everyone has added creators on Twitter like they do now. Just it, it just took longer to get to them. I can't. I can't. Now, Maybe Tori, Stan how did you Lee feel? I would believe it. But, you know, when you're in charge, it's hard not to be the guy in charge. And yeah. Stan Lee, as the guy pasting together these letters pages, you know, I can't even imagine what it was like to have this fledgling company sitting completely on your shoulders. I am certainly not saying anything Stan Lee did that might have been passive aggressive was okay. Nor am I saying Stan Lee is the devil. I am saying that I could imagine a young professional who had some issues with historically sharing credit as has been evidenced by some deeper looks into the inner workings at Marvel comics could have perhaps passive aggressively crafted together a letters page that made other people feel bad. Or just didn't talk about him. Yeah. You know, cause even when we talk about the letters that do kind of talk about like, Oh man, that daredevil guy sucks. It's like that Daredevil guy sucks. It's never like, man, you're writing, Stanley. I'm going to put you in a box and kick it. Like, yeah. it's like Daredevil's not Spider Man. He should stop being such a wimp. I can't. But what I can is how do you feel about these fight sequences, Tori? I am so fascinated to know on your opinion on this back and forth between Spidey and Daredevil. I think. It is very fun. I think I think our letterist, Artie Simic, in this one, and then Sammy Rosen in the next, did some amazing work. 
Amazing. I think um, I think for me, it's hard to read fight scenes when they um, when I'm just like, just open your mouths and talk to each other. Yeah. Just open your like I both of you are so chatty and you're both thinking thoughts that are on the same line. And all you have to do is convince each other. So when he like tied Spider-Man up, I was like, all right, this is where Matt goes like this and says, listen, bud, and we're going to have to, and we're going to talk it out. But no, then he just leaps. And that's the weirdest part because I really love the way that they draw him in. And I think that the immensity of Spider-Man is a really great way to, in Daredevil, make kid Spider-Man seem like a fucking man because he is so powerful. Otherwise, if you're reading Daredevil because it's not the kid book, when Spider-Man shows up, this kid's a fucking kid. He's not going to give Daredevil any hard time. But one of the things that also makes Daredevil kind of more the adult book is occasionally it's so word-heavy. I cannot forgive this page. Was there a thing where he was like 17 letter bubbles? There it is. 17 letter bubbles and God help us all. I mean, this is the part where I went, oh, finally, someone like Foggy actually recognizes that like DD, Daredevil is a separate uh, person in the Karen wants, wants going after Karen thing from Matt where we get like actual like, okay, there's four of them in this love triangle now. And when she's like, who wouldn't want to be Daredevil himself? A lot of people wouldn't want to be Daredevil and not just because of things she doesn't know, but not everybody wants to be a superhero at this point in the Marvel continuity. No. Like, and to be vigilantes? honest, like, yeah, yeah. And also like, it's hard being king. There are many of us who from a very young age were like, no, no, no. No leading. Thank you. I'll be back here enjoying my safety. Yeah. And it takes a very specific kind of person to lead in very specific ways. You can be like, I actually think, you know, and it's not just that Deborah Ann Wall, please, Deborah Ann Wall, if you can ever hear these words, you gave us something I will never, ever forget. You made Karen Page a hero to me. And like, that is so important. And I think very difficult from the source material so hard. And I feel as though not just the recontextualization of the beautiful work done in Daredevil Yellow or the TV show re enhancing it, but you can really see where actually Karen Page is actually the boss at Nelson and Murdoch. Like it's, it's not tricky at all. It's like super surface. It's right there. Oh yeah. Um, And I mean, part of that is because like back in the day, everybody knew that if you had a girl, she's the one that you go to about money things and, you know, where's where the bills paid and like all this stuff, like the men are doing work, the ladies here to to make sure the place runs. And so I, I really appreciate how much we see her having to deal with that, if only to show that like Nelson and Murdoch ain't doing so great which I find hilarious after someone just went on a giant cruise for three weeks. Uh, well, he had to clear his head because life was getting hard or whatever. Or whatever. I, <sighs> I want to comment two things about where this just should have been part two 
a Spider-Man issue. I hear that because we get to a point where we have a whole like four, three to four pages that's just Spider-Man. Like we see Aunt May, we walk through him through the stuff. J. Jonah Jameson shows up, who is hilarious. Like, I just, I, I definitely hear you on that. And it's not that, like, I'm unhappy. Peter looks really handsome, and that's, like, sweet. It reminds me that he is a kid a little bit, and it, like, reminds me to cheer for him. Like, you know, you get a sense that Peter's a good guy, but, like, fucking Mad Dog J. Jonah Jameson looking fucking unhinged, and I love it. And full-on Hitler I stash. love it. And he's got JJJTV, and it's the 60s. I know. So I know. I, I'm speechless. At how this fucking Alex Jones motherfucker over here was bringing the crazy. Look at that face. Yeah. He's crazy. And okay. he, he Fox News. <laughs> no, and like that's 100% why I, I, I think that they pulled from this idea that we got that version in No Way Home or Far From Home. Can't totally. come home. Totally. You know, uh, Spider Man, not. A homo. Spider-Man, Jake Gyllenhaal tour 2021. Man, <laughs> I only wish, because I'm so happy that we got that Daredevil moment in Spider-Man, but I would have loved to have seen Jake Gyllenhaal and Tobey Maguire on screen together. That energy could have been so fucking fun. And I know... I'm looking to do an Into the Spider-Verse for just the films that are not the amazing upcoming animated movie where, like, I got so confused because I was saying to somebody that I heard that Issa Rae is going to be Spider-Woman. And I'm like, but that's weird because her name isn't listed in the film. No, she's in Into the Spider-Verse, not the upcoming Spider-Woman film. That's also not the upcoming Madam Web film, I think. There's a lot going on. It's crazy. But we have this Spider-Man here. Peter looking like an adorable young man who's ready to help his Aunt May take out the recycling. And I love it. The word young is used very liberally here. Yeah, I think where I'm getting that he looks young is he has that Disney animatronic look mm. where this is the face of young man. Yeah, the fewer lines, the younger you look. Yeah, you know, which is why if you stand behind blinds, you look like Clint Eastwood. So, you know, do your best not to do that. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you a question. I know I made the comment earlier on. Where do you think the line is on replacing or repairing art? I love that the cover is up right now because... That color palette for Masked Marauder is fucking sick. I love that color palette for Masked Marauder. The sort of generic kind of... Purpley nonsense. Purpley nonsense. Yeah, I was trying to think of a better way to... Like, but the purpley nonsense is really underwhelming. I would rather Masked Marauder always be those colors and look a little bit in that. like Because in the book, he just sort of looks like... Any bad guy that you know Daredevil is going to fight a hundred times. I but here he looks like a Star Wars character. Star Wars character. I love it. I, yeah, I forgot that 
he wasn't the organizer. Yes. Because it's basically the same. And especially when he's in the with the hat. Yeah. But especially when he's in that like purpley gray outfit, I'm like, I've seen this silhouette and color scheme before. And so it it had me really like taken taken a taken a taken aback, I guess. And I'm also a little disappointed, I guess, because I kind of wanted the blimp to make an appearance on the cover. Like the is blimp is the star of the issue. Yeah, it's it's Thank great. God we didn't it's... shoot down our 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 blimp, our own blimp, as opposed to being like, why is our own blimp uh, making an unchar an, an unscheduled appearance? Yeah, it's such a wacky story and it ultimately just kind of ends is one of the things about this story that I can't help but notice like a lot of these early daredevil adventures, you know, the bad guy gets away because they want the bad guy to be in more stories. Daredevil just kind of gets his shit together. I feel like the guy who gets the hardest swack out of the way in this issue is Matt Murdock. Oh yeah. There is, no Matt Murdock in this issue because even when Daredevil is in the scene as Matt Murdock, I feel like it's Daredevil wearing a Matt Murdock costume, not Matt Murdock outside of the Daredevil costume. Yeah, we lost a little bit of Matt by bringing in Spider-Man, and I think this is kind of what I what we've talked about before, where like when you bring a bunch of superheroes together, they become extreme versions of themselves because otherwise it's just the same people saying the same things. And exactly. so Matt kind of can't exist in the same space as Spider-Man whenever they're in the room together because it's about Daredevil. Yeah. Unless, of course, Daredevil is Foggy Nelson. Okay. Obviously, I love Guts Nelson because I bring it up every other day. Um, I love everything Foggy in context, recontextualized that makes Foggy a stand-up guy and mm-hmm. things like Guts Nelson do. Mm-hmm. This is beyond my scope of believability here. I feel like Spider-Man, with Spidey sense, should be able to like, oh, that guy's strong. Like, here's the thing. Dee's radar, Daredevil's radar sense can figure out that there's a teenage boy under there. Yes, yes, he great there's a point. Teenage boy. He can hear the differences. He's like, oh, he's, he's big, but he's bigger, but he's stronger than he is because of blah, blah, blah. Spidey's radar sense is more like that vibration is somewhere over there. And he follows over there and he sees a blind guy and a girl and he dismisses the girl and the blind guy. And he's like, well, I guess it's this guy then. And But then the thing is, is that this is some of the most uh, impulsive that he is all issue, where he just yes, like yes. slams in and like is ready to tear the head off of this. A blind man, a girl, but the third? That so, like, has to be thing. him. It's like, that's the thing, that Daredevil's is far closer to like echolocation when it comes to his senses. Whereas Spidey's is more, 
don't really know if it has. It's I, I guess it's like following the chemtrails, kind of. And then you're okay. like, aha, or like, or maybe it's more like not a Geiger counter, a spectrometer, where you're like, a ghost is here somewhere. I really, I really follow what you're saying, and I think that's one of the reasons that Daredevil just kind of getting to get away is fine. If Spider-Man had ultimately stayed like, no, no, I'm sure it's this guy. Got to fight him. You know, Spider-Man and Daredevil's fight is so great because Spider-Man doesn't give up. Daredevil knows that he's going to get the shit kicked out of him. Like, that's the magic. You know, Chip Zdarsky, who's currently writing Batman and Daredevil, when he was asked who would win, he said, oh, absolutely Batman, because Batman never loses and Daredevil always loses. So... Who would win? Batman. But who would win is really not the same thing as who would win in a punch punch. Mm-hmm. Batman would win in a punch punch. But like Daredevil tied Spider-Man up just long enough to get away. He didn't tie Spider-Man up thinking he had him defeated. So when Spider-Man doesn't make his life's goal tracking Daredevil and tracks him, I guess thinking of it as Spider-Man's senses are limited, you know, especially later on, Matt would sit in one place till he heard Spider-Man and then charge after him. You know what I mean? That's a really great point as to how they're different. Or maybe he's, yeah, because then I guess he, uh, when I hear it like that, he's more like a bloodhound who is like, I got a smell of you over there and now I'm getting a smell of you over here, but it's just not as pinpoint as it could be. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Wet. Now, I have to say, my favorite page of the issue is probably that final two pages or so. Uh, so I guess it's two pages. I really like a lot of the the blues. I really like a lot of the richness of the color. I'm highly amused by the guy in his boxers. I love that Foggy's in a red coat as if he went out and bought it to prove that he's secretly Daredevil. Oh, I know. And it's so much more mysterious than Foggy used to dress. <laughs> like, Foggy's usually just in the little pea coat, but, like, yep. this is, like, a full-length coat. This yeah. thing is fucking fabulous. He is leaning into this, because he's like, oh, right, the girl I'm in love with will chase anything in spandex, from Aquaman to Spider-Man to the Purple Man. She's just fascinated by them. I also love that they mention the XB390 on this page, which I know Mask Marauder had a plan all along. Mm-hmm. He was stealing something, and it was have Daredevils to help create distractions and help mm-hmm. steal it. And, you know, we really did it in a roundabout way, but we got there. And then the way they distracted Daredevil, the way they distracted the Mask Marauder was Daredevil went to J. Jonah Jameson and said, hey, say that they're missing this component. I am kind of amused that Mask Marauder wasn't like, let me see if I'm really missing the component or not. No, he was just like, oh, that fool, he gave it all away. And so I'm the smart one now. And you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. They, they fall for it every goddamn time. Every but time. the fact that they they mentioned it on the last page kind of... It's weird because I'm not used to reading Daredevil issues where there's a panel where hours later Daredevil is thinking back on the adventure. We usually, if, you know, it ends with the bad guy in the water, 
we end on the pier. Yep. If it ends with the bad guy in jail, we end outside the courthouse because they're immediately arraigning them somehow. Yeah. Mm. And I think what it is is that usually those issues, mystery solved. Got the bad guy. We know what he wanted, blah, blah, blah. But the thing with this one is now there's a new mystery. What the fuck is up with Foggy? Yeah. And they didn't get Mask Marauder. No. And so I feel like I'm really excited for like the continuity that we're about to see more of where it's not as continu- yeah. con- as much continuity. It's like the Kazar one or like other ones where it's a twofer, where this is more like the B plot will come back. And so to me, that's a more interesting continuity than just like the bad guy's still around. Now, of course, I have yet to mention my favorite thing about this page. (sighs) I love so few characters in Daredevil the way I love the gladiator. (laughs) And Melvin, his costume has Melvin. Oh, and he's so hot. I mean, like not that we're there yet, but like by 1960s standards, the fucking ridiculous package they put on him on the next cover is insane. Um, and he's so built and he's so hot. I love Melvin and uh, I love the portrayal from the TV show, however little of it we got. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting that Gladiator comes next because this issue, we had a bunch of people dressed as Daredevil. Gladiator comes along with his own costume shop kind of thing. It feels very much like, hey, check it out. It's Gladiator. Uh, it feels very much to me like we were seeing threads of who daredevil is this question of identity and who is who and how does identity play out against itself in what ways are we presenting who we want to be and i feel like stan lee was getting ever closer to that idea being such a central tenant of -hmm. what makes a daredevil story but you know it's we're getting closer for sure for sure i think i think that we are getting closer and closer to pulling Matt and Daredevil apart and giving them each their own reasons for being. And I think that, I, that. I think that once 18 and 19, which are, which are a pair as well, I'm hoping that we get a little more lawyering because that's usually what happens after we have a lot of fight, fight, fight issues. We get like a good, a good court case. And I'm looking forward to when we can have a court case and fight, fight, fight back in the same issue again. And I think one of the reasons that I am so eager to see the book continue on is, you know, first of all, I did just make it very clear. I find Melvin very, very attractive. Um, But so, like, I think about his costume sometimes and I can't help but notice that once again, we have a weird coloring situation where on the cover He's clearly in heavy, heavy tones of green, but like in the book, he is a much more blue based character. And, you know, the pants are green here. They're actually blue in the book. He's got a blue belt here. It's actually a green belt in the book. The helmet is actually blue. Uh, The armband accessories are only there sometimes. You can't see any of his beautiful chest hair. So I... You know, there's little things that that get changed around a bit. Yeah, like you can see here, it's a totally different look uh, in terms of the coloration. It's all blue instead of green. So I 
look forward to getting to the points in Comic Con. Yeah, like the boots are white inside, and here the boots are a different color. I look forward to getting to where there's a little bit more care put into the book overall. How does it read back? How does it interplay with other issues? Is there continuity in the costume? Is there continuity of story? There's details and elements that this book deserves, and I can't wait for them. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that they're getting into the rhythm of having it come out every month, and soon they're going to start treating it like it comes out every month. Oh, that's that's it. I have nothing. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna mention that the letters page is currently called "Let's Level with Daredevil." All right. Well, level it at me. And uh, more than anything, I just want to draw our attention to anytime we think Daredevil gets drawn poorly, he could always be the thing in this panel. <laughs> it's not, Man, it's this thing hates yellow. Ground meat, my friend. They're, they always look like hardened ground meat. I love Daredevil reaching out like he loves you. He does. Right. He does. He, he, I can't figure out what finger to move. Here. You got it. That one. You got it. <laughs> Man, this has been such an exciting trip. I love Spider-Man and Daredevil together. I'm so excited for Gladiator. I love that even though this could kind of be treated as a four-part thing, we treated it as two two-parters. That feels a little bit truer to what it is. Tori, I love this book more and more when I talk to you about it, in part because like you point out things I never realized, like the ways in which how many of these images that are so iconic to these stories might not even be Matt Murdock as daredevil, but rather one of the imposters. It's just such an exciting thing to find reasons to love this, to find reasons to cover this in the past instead of jumping to the future. And after a bunch of episodes where we were like, this one's fine. I'm giving this two parter a B plus. I love it. Maybe an a minus. It's so fun. It's so good. And it was a blast to talk about. Aw. I really, I really like it. I like for, for what it for what it opens up. When you don't put a bow on it as much as we normally do, I really feel like it opens it up so that these things can have a more lasting impression upon the characters and allow them to grow. Completely. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of allow people to grow, we want to give our amazing audience a chance to ruminate on these incredible stories. So until we come back, Tori, I know that we kind of skipped it earlier on, but where can everybody find you online? You can find me at Tori underscore Sheehan on Twitter and at SM Tori, as you can see with an I. Where can people find you, Nico? You guys can find me everywhere at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You guys can also find me over on the partner show to this program, which is X is for Podcast. You can find that over at xisforpodcast.com and at xisforpodcast on Twitter. You guys can also find my original work at both kidriotcomics.com, where I work with the amazing Tori and our brilliant producer, Kevo, on our creator-owned work as well as in the recently released Young Men in Love, where I was lucky enough to work with Jude Vegans, and we contributed a story about, I guess, kind of like Daredevil-like characters. I don't know, but it's a lot of fun. I'm so proud to be part of this book with industry greats like Joe Glass, Anthony Oliveira, Cena Grace, Terry Bloss, unbelievable caliber of people to stand alongside. Couldn't be prouder. I feel like Spider-Man standing with Daredevil on this one. Aww. So, 
right? Right. But Until then, until you can we check return. us out. You can check us out on at the Billy Club Pod, but make sure to stay stay fearless. everybody i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and i'm tori sheehan you can find me on twitter at tori underscore sheehan and at instagram at sm tori that's tori with an i and you can find all of us at the billy club pod on all your on your socials well and that is of course because we are here on the billy club to celebrate all things daredevil story and i could not be more excited than to celebrate everybody's favorite crimson crusader swinging his way through the marvel universe we are at one of my all-time favorite characters i am so excited to finally be here daredevil 18 and 19 it's a good time tori oh yeah yeah it is i mean but like who is the crimson crusader I mean, he is Daredevil, the one and only. He is Matt Murdock. He is, is he? Foggy Nelson. No. <laughs> but one thing's for sure, he's definitely fighting the gladiator. And, you know, then the the masked marauder. Marauderer, I can't say that word really well. Marauder. Um, marauder, the masked marauder. marauder. Yeah, Daredevil <laughs> versus the masked marauder, marauder and the gladiator. It should all kind of rhyme. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I so completely love this character, you know, and one of the things that's really interesting is Stan Lee, John Romita, Frank. Jacoa, right. I never want to be cruel and get a name wrong. And <laughs> Sammy Rosen, they create a character who truly isn't the character he's going to be for decades yet. You know, it's going to take, years to really reach the character he's going to become it's not that these creators undercreated the character because i think in a lot of ways he is really of the time you oh, know yeah. he's very vincent price in the 60s like like a tv budget vincent price yes yes i did i couldn't really tell what they were going for with his face but it was definitely going for like hotness. <laughs> definitely like kind of hot. exotic, creepy, bulky guy, nightmare man. And you know, know, when you when you say exotic, I, I love that it's actually that kind of iffy word because he could kind of be Latin, he could kind of be Italian, he could kind of be Eastern European. There's just sort of all of the features in his face yeah. without having too many features in particular. Yeah. And I love him. He's so hot. He's so hot. <laughs> and um, he's got the right kind of build and the right kind of face. I call him daddyator. I love him so much. I mean, he's so built that daredevil is on the cover clutching at those pecs. Like, oh, okay. how, oh. how could you not? Now I know we talked about it 
last episode for a minute. I'm going to talk about it again this episode for a minute. Uh, the cover does not quite match the interiors. The costume is all sorts of wrong. Um, I'm not mad about it. I just, I definitely noticed that it happened. And so I just need to be like, you know, this is something where I've often wondered why. And, you know, I guess part of it is there would be no limit to the the corrections, but I would go back and fix stuff, I think. I think for me, what it really is, is that the color scheme on the on the cover is very blues and grays and greens. And then like that red daredevil just really pops, really pops. And so I think by making the gladiator more green instead of the reverse, which is his blue, I think it helps to give him just a little more pop against all the foggy... of the of the docks well and i think that's a really good point you know especially with gladiator himself is such a weird idea you know he's such an over-the-top pastiche and his costume is really no particular era i don't think that he is at this point really realized as a person but as a silly villain as you know, Foggy comes to this guy to design him a daredevil costume so he can have kind of a lark and get I guess, Karen to co- marry him by cosplaying daredevil. Look, I love me a thick boy, but she has been held by daredevil and she knows daredevil is not a thick boy. Uh, you know, cosplay you a thick boy like beast. That's, you know, but like that there's something so silly about his gambit that I wonder if the design of it, she'll see I'm not Daredevil, but won't notice I'm not Daredevil. I wonder if this was designed so that even a child reading it would be like, no. And then they point to it so many times. I think that's part of it. There's a there's a large part of me that wishes that thinks that like if this wasn't the sixties and if they were allowed to like fuck around before they got married, that like he could literally just be like, All right, I'll put on the suit for, you know, a little bedtime fun action. Cause that's what this yep. is for. That's what this feels like it would be now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think one of the things that I loved the most about this issue is, you know, right around page I want to say it's 10 or nine or so we get gladiator getting dressed. We get him legitimately like half naked and a lot of internal thought and a lot of, um, you know, like there's something about this character that, you know, it's not just that he is like beefy daddy. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Oh my God. He's so beautiful. But Right, I, I'm getting. <laughs> I love him so much, and I think part of what I love about him is he's not visually like other Daredevil bad guys. I feel like a lot of Daredevil bad guys are silly in a non-threatening way. They're the Owl. They're the Matador. You know, we also get you know. Ox, but I feel like Ox isn't a daredevil villain. Ox is like general. Yeah, I think this is definitely something where you feel this is, I guess, the first one who really pulls a lot of weapons in his suit against yeah. Daredevil. 
And I think that that is a new tactic because for a while there, we were getting a lot of gadgets out of Daredevil and it's mm -hmm. shocking against a, a supervillain who has so much stuff that we actually oh, yeah. don't get any gadgets out of Daredevil in these issues. And, you know, because we share notes, because, you know, we are a production team with Kevo, our incredible producer, running the amazing soundboard and the visuals, putting this all together. You know, we have an opportunity to look at each other's notes for those of us that are responsible enough to type out our notes in advance instead of uh, putting them in a bunch of uh, handwritten stuff. But, you know, so I, I've seen Tori's notes. And one of the things that I love that Tori referenced in her notes is... Foggy is too G-Wiz to be from Hell's Kitchen. He is so G-Wiz. How like, is he the Beave? He is, he's, uh, he's in like a, he is in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Yeah. And none of it is, and everything else is happening on like a horror, like creepy B-movie set. And I just like, for me, I don't think it's as I don't think we have the specific background of where Foggy comes from in this series yet. I know they sort of retcon him to be from Hell's Kitchen and that he's known Matt since they were little and sort of whatever. But like, if I didn't know that, I would think that Foggy came from like the Upper East Side. That oh, for sure. Or he's like sure. a Connecticut boy because oh, yeah. that's what he feels like in all of this. He feels like a Connecticut boy playing in Daredevil's court. Yeah. And, you know, it's so exaggerated here. And I love how many references Foggy is like, man, I wish I were built like Matt. And I'm just like, how often, Nico, you're, you're a gentleman with many gentleman friends. How often do you, do you say to yourself, oh, you know, I wish I was, I wish I, you know, how often do you think about the build of your friends? The gay ones or? Well, yeah, it's, I know it's difficult when you're attracted to them. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. There is like, if it's like a gym buddy, if it's right. like, you know, a, a guy I lift with regularly um, or somebody that I wind up in situations where it's not unusual. Like, um, you know, my boyfriend is, is in like contracting. So like, if his roommate is ever around and you know, that's not weird. I'd be like, Oh yes, he has a good build. I am familiar with it. We have, you know, worked on things in, in tight little tank tops. Right. Uh, if you're asking business suits all the time. Yeah. And you know, that's even something that like, I wonder about, like, is that meant to indicate to us that like Foggy's like, Oh, I have to help Matt get dressed. I don't, I don't know. Like they were roommates in college at one point, but were we at the era of men sharing each other's strength yet? I mean, <laughs> I don't think so. And I also think that it's like, we get a lot of body shaming in this one. Yeah. Right. And we get a lot of internalized fat phobia kind of also from foggy. Um, For sure. And it's just like really a shame because he doesn't, the first time he puts on that daredevil suit, he doesn't look like, particularly like he's particularly busting at the seams or something it's it's difficult to Agreed. talk about this body shaming and this fat phobia without being body shaming and fat phobic i i noticed that as the issue goes along and as as keva was showing us this that they take their time to like 
show us in him in weird positions that accentuate it, but he looks good. Like he looks fine. Yeah. And I mean, he looks like uh, there's a number of, I'll go with like thick boy kind of yeah. superheroes in the last couple of years. And he's really in line with egg of the X-Men. He's in line with some of the, and I say this with a lot of let's go with the word love. But there are some real, oh, there's some real chunky depictions of the beast that I am very about. And he's in line with those. Yeah. Like there's um, I mean, no one is saying that Wong in the in the Doctor Strange movies is like unfit to be a to be a hero. I famously think he's one of the most beautiful men right? in like he's all stunning. of movies. I think Benedict Wong is like literally one of the hottest men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by like, by like seriously a Sidorak mile. Right. It is. And, the, and him and the, the guy from Eternals who like, I watched the behind the scenes and he's like, guys who look like me don't get to wear these outfits. Like it's, it's a shame that this is happening in the sixties because I really do think that like, like I've said before, Foggy is a catch and like yeah. i don't know why he's so obsessed with a girl who's chasing danger except for the fact that she never looks better when she's screaming like the way I she's think... drawn in this issue is beyond well and i think that's even part of the magical damage of working with these characters in these iterations we need a reason foggy's not his own man because Foggy is as beholden to Matt as we expect Matt to be to Foggy. And, you know, I think without sounding like, you know, kind of the funny alpha toxic stuff, but like there is nothing wrong with being kind of like a beta simp personality and finding your your alpha dominant personality that you want to be part of, mm -hmm. whose life you want to share, no shame in not being the more dominant person. And because we're at an era where that is still equated with Hemingway levels of impotence, I think we are ironically that you're doing that ironic right. sorry I, I took a moment so, I, was like, I, was like, I, should funny. I need to but, i need to tone it down to just uh, oh goodness <laughs> i mean look if santiago is going to keep pissing off the side of that boat you can have as many issues with phallic representations of manhood interacting with the notion of impotence as you want the fucking marlin should have died earlier it's a short book and the marlin should have died sooner Anyway, welcome to um, literature quarter. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the old man and the daredevil seafood <laughs> salad plate. Just keep going. But um, also, like, maybe if I, I mean, I will admit, if I was foggy and I came over to visit Matt and he was wearing that smoking jacket look that looks so amazing on page four, like, I, I, I think I too would be like, I, I just, I can't. I'm gay for my friend. <laughs> I, I'm gay for my friend. It's doing a number on my head. I need to fuck the girl he's in love with as some sort of like courtly romance idea of like how you approach your love for another man and like get there. And like, I just, Matt looks really good in that smoking jacket. Sorry, not sorry. And I love the, uh, the smoking jacket from the end of this 
uh, two-parter, but hold on. We need to take a minute. Please let Matthew, for the rest of his life, always wear tiny little shorts, this tiny, and oh wait, he does. This is how gay Matt looks from now till the end of time. Yeah, he's just forever looking like this. And also, I was a little intrigued by the fact that Matt's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get back into my body. I gotta turn off these thoughts. And instead of being like, let me put on the red pajamas and go swinging around and check out the crime. He's like, I'm gonna go work out tonight. Like, were we not expecting superheroes to be like a 24 seven, like a 12 out of seven every night kind of on call kind of thing yet? I think the idea was at one point mm -hmm. that you know, the New York City, right, mm -hmm. is is a place that people seem to think you can sort of just stick Lego versions of the buildings on sort of a play mat mm -hmm. and just kind of put mini figs all around it. And that's New York in the 1960s. <laughs> There's like 16 buildings and 24 people, and they all know Peter Parker. And I think that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at a world where they think there's only so much crime. Oh, I think they think the police are doing things. Oh, they're like, mm, my 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 devil sense isn't tingling, so I gotta I can take the night off. Because like we also just got off a couple of episodes where they're like, we haven't seen Daredevil around in a while, so like let's dress up a bunch of people as him like i'm fascinated that matt's like taking a nap lately well and you know i think part of what makes matt's life so silly is they really don't understand how to balance <laughs> like matt life with daredevil life yet yeah. such that the building manager being such a huge part of this story like it's three's company or something I just, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because I have a lot to say about a man who wears a hundred dollar suit, a man who go, another man who goes on a cruise and a gal who always looks gorgeous in her fur lined coat, having to worry about rent in the well, city. When you're drawing your clothes, you can put yourself in Fenty <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Well, speaking of our fa fabulous trio, we're getting a, a lot more actually of the romance on this one because it is the yeah. driving point of the plot. Like the plot For is sure. Foggy puts on the daredevil suit to impress the gal and it goes horribly wrong. So we horribly get a lot wrong. of Karen and Karen and Foggy are standing too close and Matt is listening at the door like some creepy peeper dude. And Karen's like, oh, I always worry when you're gone for so long. And, and then Foggy has to ruin everything by like dropping a million hints that he's Daredevil. And it's just weird. Foggy is about as subtle as making fish in the microwave. <laughs> and it is, you know, <laughs> on the same subject as not subtle, there's something that like, I feel like the first 12 issues of artists were like, oh, Daredevil should be a little bit serious. It's the serious book. And then John Romita comes in and is like, how big can I make the radar? <laughs> and it adds like a silliness to it. 
It does. That the book needs. It needs it so bad. It needs so that bad. humor. It needs that that fun. I mean, Sammy Rosen, as Kevin is pointing, as Kevin's pointing out, is bringing the batak to us a all. Batoc. Like yeah. the lettering on these fights is so much fun. The colors are still so fun. Like we gotta we gotta start matching the artwork with our um with with our with our plot lines here. And so I agree. I just, I don't know. I'm still dazzled by the fact that Matt is wearing a white coat after Labor Day. Like, what is he no, even I, doing? Fabulous white coat, number one. Fabulous white coat. <laughs> yes. Number two, I kind of want to make an interesting, we're in an era where everybody treats Matt as, quote unquote, the dumb blind man. You know what I yes. mean? He's not, a, he's not like a real person. He's blind. So that, well, we know that is a disgusting way to treat anybody. Mm -hmm. Matt is treated that way. So that means they're letting him walk around in a white coat after Labor Day. And that's his own kind of fucked up. I know so many guys who are just colorblind, whose girlfriends dress them all the time because they don't trust them to figure it out. So like, Maybe this is what Karen, Karen's super into fashion and she's like, I can fix this for him if he just lets me marry him. Now, can I ask you a really interesting question about your interpretation of Karen's agency? You know, um, I, I, I can't. Karen, Karen I, is a Hitchcock blonde in this. She's a Hitchcock blonde. Okay. That, yeah, because it's as if she has... I don't know. It's like they're saying to Karen, look, Karen, all of the pieces. And she goes, uh-huh. And they're like, when you put the pieces together, they make a puzzle. And Karen goes, uh-huh. And they go, Karen, would you like to make the puzzle from the pieces? And she goes, uh-huh. <laughs> but what if I pick that piece first? But then there's that piece. She's like paralyzed by options that she shouldn't have. Yes. Karen is, I don't know what the, the difficulty with Karen is that Karen is written by men and by men who are not exactly Casanova's if I had to guess. And so she is the epitome of mother, uh, whore, uh, secretary, maid. She is everything you could possibly need from a female character, a girl, the, the girl you got to save, the daughter you have to protect, you know, all of these things. And in the middle of it all is her occasionally uh, saying, actually like making a decision. She looks um, so good here though. Oh my like, God. Like I said, this is the best she gets drawn. Oh, she is terrified. It's like, it's like John Romita's just like, yes, this is how yes. women deserve to look. Now I'm not women saying look that so beautiful day. afraid. I know. But like, honestly, like you're beautiful when you cry, you're beautiful when you're screaming and running in the dark. Like <laughs> um, for me, I think Karen is definitely like taking all of the 60 stereotypes, shoving them into one girl and then saying it's perfect. And the men are both crazy about her. And it just doesn't make sense from a modern point of view. You can like kind of decorate it by saying like, oh, she's a product of her times and oh, she's doing the best that she can. And she's sort of playing both to get what she wants. 
which but at the end of the day like could she be just like a bag of cash maybe could you replace her with an early edition blackberry like is she a poster on the wall of pamela anderson idk so i'm not i'm not i'm still unimpressed with karen but i gotta give it up for her survival skills yes she is a sexy lamp she's a very sexy lamp um but i gotta give it up for her survival skills she's like um i i i she's i guess she i Mm, there's a part of me that wants to believe that Karen doesn't think he's thought he's actually daredevil that she like sees through it but she's playing along because it's like interesting and that's not interesting right now but it's like something to do it's something to do her cables out like whatever but like she from the beginning is like oh no we should go she's not like oh if you change into daredevil you can save us like she's like no we gotta cut and run honey and she is like she runs she's like i gotta get to matt matt will know what to do foggy got his butt kicked and he's daredevil and he's the only guy i trust with that secret identity she faints on command to get out of a rent check i was gonna say your notes on that are the best part of the entire thing <laughs> i too faint when people ask me for rent <laughs> like i too i'm just like oh no there's so so much money oh no <laughs> but yeah like when we're talking about rent like matt took this enormous cruise to go meet kazar uh, Foggy's wandering around in $100 suits, which are apparently $850 suits in today's money, which is not like crazy. That's not crazy, a cold suit. But like, it is it's definitely. Brooks Brothers. Yeah, it's Brooks Brothers at minimum. Yeah, it, this is not, you're going to like the way you look. Um, I guarantee it. I guarantee um, it. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, I'm hoping that that was like a gift from when he was running for the DA. Like, we got to get you in better suits. But like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, they. They're, they're always like we don't have any money and i'm like well quit spending money on cruises then you you own this place and that's one of the things that i think comics just don't have down yet and i don't know that they have them down in modern times quite right either but like in the 60s there really was a lot of difficulty understanding how to properly navigate this situation you definitely had Xavier being like, I'm going to rebuild the mansion. And then being like, I can't afford anything. Warren, Warren dollars, Warren. And then Warren was literally like, not if Wolverine's on the team. <laughs> and Xavier was like, then we don't want your money. He sells books. Goodbye. Hang on. Charles can't like mind control people. He can just mind read people and move stuff around, right? So Charles Xavier is the worst <laughs> creature in existence. Charles Xavier is the most mind controlly piece of shit on the so planet. So then why doesn't he mind control a bunch of construction workers? I'm not saying that it's that it's moral. I'm just saying that it gets no, the no, job done. Because Charles Xavier is much more interested in playing the nice guy. So Char the difference between Charles Xavier and Purple Man is okay. Purple Man believes that you ply your trade in the open. And if you're just honest with people, it's just what it is. Right. And Xavier and believes 
that if you ply your trade in the shadows, people will like you because your race should always feel inferior and make itself fit in and assimilate. Recently, though, in the pages of Krakoan X-Men, no, he's a little yeah. bit more like, I'm not interested in assimilation. We're going to take over the, the, uh, the island of Krakoa and the planet of Mars, which is now the planet of Rocco. And um, it's our own planet and it's just mutants. And uh, yeah, so that uh, the image that had been up on the screen, Excess for Podcast is of course the show that this is the partner show to where we talk about Xavier and his many goddamn machinations all the time. Really big fans of talking about how Xavier is truly a jerk. Um, but back to Daredevil, which yeah, similar yellow, but you know, red instead of the blue. Slightly, slightly. Um, so first off, apparently the cops are in the exact same like Andy Griffith show lifestyle that Foggy comes from because they are also like, oh, there's something weird going on in the docks today. Let me go. They check are it Benny out. Hill people. They really are. They really are. Um, but then when Foggy puts on the mask and the suit, first off, it's super creepy to see eyeballs in the mask. I didn't yes. realize that until it happened. And two, like he gets corny lines and then Matt is like, oh my God, I hope I don't sound corny like Foggy. And then he judges himself for the rest of this series, of this arc. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is how creators like to show the characters and how we can understand them through reflections. Mm. And we talk about how Spider-Man is meant to create a reflection. We talk about how anybody who has alternate senses is meant to create a reflection and gladiator nor masked Marauder in issue 19 represent a reflection of daredevil or of Matt. So right. instead we get the reflection of Matt and Daredevil both through Foggy because that's really the literary irony, the dramatic irony that we're dealing yes. with here that Matt knows Foggy is Daredevil and that Daredevil is Foggy. But Foggy nor Foggy Daredevil have any idea who Matt or real Daredevil is. Right. Really, because that's the actual thing. It's not just that, oh my God, Daredevil is my friend, Matt. Matt is Daredevil. And that is two different kinds of betrayal for this group of people, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that because I feel like figuring out the double identity of Matt is is super central to like these early issues. And I feel like Foggy is the way that we show how Matt should be. Like if he was fully, if he, uh, I'm just, if he wasn't blind and he was also a lawyer, he'd probably be almost exactly like Foggy. And well, I also just want to add fully to fully formed, but like Matt can't talk about his feelings in a way that other men of the time, a la Foggy comment is dead inside. So yeah. like Matt, is incomplete in a lot of ways as an underlying trait that they use his blindness as a catch-all to represent. So I understand how you see layers of Matt is incomplete, even right. at this point. And I 
And I mean, they haven't blamed Catholicism yet because I don't think we actually know if he's Catholic yet. Not and yet. And so we can't like add those layers in yet. But you do see why people would be like, hey, he's got a lot of guilt. He's either Jewish or Catholic. Which is he? And <laughs> so they went with Catholic. Right now he's just a DASP. He's a devil just... Anglo-Saxon Protestant. <laughs> Could have been a rasp. He's, I guess, red. He's, he's not white. He's red. He's a red suited man. So yeah. So I just, I also, I think the ending of 18 going into 19 is a strange thing because the Matt talks to the doctor about Karen. We don't see Karen or no, he doesn't even talk to the doctor. He talks to the building manager about Karen and the doctor, neither of whom are there. And then the building manager looks at the guy whose name is on the door and he goes, I'm going to talk to your partner about money tomorrow. And I'm just like, this is such a weird place to end this and move on. Well, and the art is one of those situations where if you told me that this was a situation that Stanley took a bunch of someone else's art and just moved it all around however he wanted to build out these pages. I'd believe it. Um, these panels feel very much like they're so coda. And, you know, um, when widescreen comics became the sort of rebuilding of the narrative you know when we sort of surrendered the idea of the structure of the funny book and we reinterpreted it to be you know a reimagining a la film in a really big way right oh gotcha okay um we started using film techniques like you know scenes have very clear delineations and we don't cut between things anymore comics you would never have two panels of one scene on one page like this smushed in to a line of panels that then say later on in the second of three panels in a line. So visually this is just clunky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also, it's so many words. It's so many words. It's nearly unreadable. It's like nearly just... unreadable. You can't understand what's going on. Like you have, like there's a lot of, um, in Daredevil, there's a lot of showing you something and then telling you something. We see that a lot with Foggy in the in the Gladiator's shop, where we see the guy come out and then Foggy's like, "Oh, I can't believe he looks like that!" And so I really feel like th this whole thing is just like talking about something that we're already seeing in a visual medium. Yeah, for sure, and you know. Speaking of like visual medium, there's something about a comic that has the ability to look very different issue to issue, even when it's the same creative team. Uh, just like a random example of this for me, I think, you know, one of the best examples is a Grant Morrison comic. Grant Morrison can get such diverse work out of a creator. They are such a tremendous talent in what they evoke from a creator. Now, I don't know that Stan Lee is the same level of showman of medium that Grant Morrison is. But when you historically think about the people that Stan Lee worked with, and I don't know who created what, I'm not here to play the credit game. Mm -hmm. But when you think about Kirby, Ditko, John Romita, you know, John Romita, who is always like 
you know, with love, admiration, and affection, because I've been very positive on John Romita this whole time. John Romita is a company man more than John Romita is a visionary, mm. you know? And there's that like old saying that people really love when Fred Astaire sang their songs because Fred Astaire sang the notes that were on the page verbatim because Fred Astaire wasn't a singer, but Fred Astaire could carry a fucking tune. Yes. You know what I mean? That's kind of John Romita. John Mm -hmm. Romita Jr. is a really jacked Adele. You know, when John Romita Jr. gets on a, a book, John Romita Jr makes the book so beautiful and so unforgettable and so one of a kind. And it's not that his father, John Romita Sr., did any disservice to comics in his beautiful, illustrious career, but he was a bit more of a Fred Astaire singer than a Fred Astaire dancer. Mm. And there is something where you kind of lose something a little bit of the tenseness of the gladiator story. The second you get to page one of issue 19 issue 19, same creative team, still a really beautiful issue, but there's something almost cartoony about the exaggerated size of the daredevil hanging on, on page one. There's something almost barren about the backgrounding and fill-in work on the next couple of pages, that six-panel grid followed by the five-panel splash set. It really feels like this is less realized than the last issue visually. This is, I don't want to say the word filler, but it definitely does feel like they had to, they didn't know where they really wanted their um, act break to be, and they realized Mm -hmm. they had put it too late into the story, and so they had to jam a whole bunch into the first issue while still having a giant splash page for gladiator and we never get splash pages this early on so now they're talking about only 19 pages to set up this whole thing knock down gladiator take him out and then we get to like figure out handsome fuggy yeah sorry just he's so fucking handsome there yeah he looks good he looks good. And you know what he doesn't look like? He doesn't look like Dare. He doesn't look like Matt. That's nice. Also, um, I have a question, Nico. How many times do you call your best friend dad? Dad. Okay. Dad. 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 Not um, daddy. Dad. Not daddy-o. Not, not daddy-o. If it had been like daddy-o, daddy-o I would have been, been like, sure, the 60s. Woo. <laughs> You're a beatnik daredevil. Yeah. Right? But like, No, he, um, I, (laughs) I, number one, I need to comment that when Kevo had it up on the previous page, it actually says that Stan Lee has no idea what happened last issue because he was on vacation. He was on vacation because Denny O'Neill stepped in after the first seven pages. We forgot to note that from the first one. Which, you know, Denny O'Neill goes on to have an illustrious career at Marvel. Denny O'Neill returns to work on Daredevil extensively for a number of years. Denny also is a line editor on Batman at one point. Uh, Super big name at Marvel and DC in the 70s and 80s. And... It's so fucking weird to me that he's like, I missed the end of last issue. Boop. 
And, you know, Kevo pointed out on this page that Foggy's eyes looked kind of, um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing. If I came back and found out that that's what was done with my story, I might be kind of like, what the fuck do you mean they randomly just write in the building manager? I I mean, like, I mean, well, so here's the thing. Here's my question. How would you deal with the fact that Karen runs back to the office and Matt's not there? But that's all in the Denny O'Neill stuff. I know, but like, how would Stan have handled it? Would he have just magically, like, he would, Matt would have beat her there? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I just, I'm so glad that I, I'm so yeah. glad that I swung a fast way. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't give it too much shit. I mean, it's, it's not great. But like, on the other hand, like, if you're going to have her run back to the office and there's not going to be anyone there, you either have Karen freaking the fuck out that now she also doesn't know where Matt is because in the first couple pages, she said, I worry about you when you're not here. Or you have to give her a reason to forget that Matt's not there. Okay. I'm a Karen apologist. Oh, me too. <laughs> I'm all about that Karen. I'm just about, not about the dumb stuff they do to her. So, um, um, I love how quickly they put uh, the gladiator through the justice system. If only so that they can break him out really fucking fast in some Which, kind of like R- Jack Ruby kind of, you know, Osborne, like escape plot. I don't know why, though. Why not just not? do this stuff why this guy why does mass marauder want this guy yeah it feels so hard to accept that the better way to do it wasn't just have him escape wasn't just have him get away Mm -hmm. that night or the next day like one of the things that these 60s stories often suffer from is a need to make the 24 pages all feel like something happens on all 24 pages Mm -hmm. and it means we get a lot of holding patterns instead of development. So gets arrested, gets back out, is back to crime. Yep. Gets arrested, gets back out, is back to crime. Instead of thinks about, you know, what we ultimately get, thinks about why he commits crime, realizes he's mentally ill, realizes that he needs help. You know, he's really a tragic character. And I think there's a lot of stuff in Daredevil where I'm like, you can't, you can't connect those dots. To, this is one that you can. You, you Yes. Once we get those pieces later. Right now, he's not that tragic. Personally, if I was him, I would have not gone into tailoring superhero outfits in a city full of superheroes. I would have moved to fucking Iowa and gotten a cornfield. Like a normal human who hates superheroes and their silly outfits. I so, just don't know why you, yeah, why would he do this? Why, like, why, why, why? But, so, like, I don't know why the Mass Marauder needs him. I don't know why the Mass Marauder secretly Scott Summers with his optic red blasts. Like, I don't, I don't understand why 
Karen doesn't just punch these photographers in the face. Although I had serious flashbacks to our series on Spellbinder over on X's for Podcast with all of these photographers bothering the nice blonde lady. (laughs) Number one, everybody should go out and read the hell out of that book. It's so good. But my question for you is sort of why the fucking mask marauder even though? Was it just that this guy visually is so unique? So I'm going to be honest with you. I forget that there's a difference between the mass marauder and the organizer because they're sort of the same and they're basically the same, but mass marauder is that was from frog cat and hawk, right? No, that's the organizer. That's the organizer. Mass marauder is 15 daredevils. Yes. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But like I said, they're basically the same. Oh, yeah. They're basically the same. He might as well be the fixer in a costume. Oh, don't get me started on the fixer in a costume. But like, so like, why did, was it just like, I mean, first off, there isn't even an editor's note to remind us of who this guy is. So fascinating. Fascinating that we talk about. But he gets cover billing. He got, well, he gets cover billing, but he's not on the cover. Neither Marauder nor Gladiator on the cover. It's just organized crime. Very the fixer. Very the fixer. Very um, a bunch of goons who are real boring. But I will say I do love when Daredevil gets to kick a bunch of like wise guy goons around. Because I just think it's, it's really like when he's in his element. Just like punch that guy, kick this guy, swing under this guy. He's got a gun. He's now he's shooting that way. And I've like punched him in the throat or something i don't know he does a lot (laughs) and you know that the heart of this issue is daredevil has to find a way to convince foggy to come clean without coming clean it's so fucking funny you know matt is up there being moralistic and (laughs) you got to do the right thing come clean about who you are or karen's in danger he is the king of that Right. And then he's arresting people. And well, he's not arresting people, but you know, he's part of the trial procedure where, you know, he's getting away with exactly what he's defending people from doing. If this was 20 years later, we would be treated to another five pages of Matt being like, I have given Foggy this speech and I should be listening to it myself. Am I not but doing the same as him? Am I eh, it, are my own fists stuff. make me better? Whatever. I know. Let me go punch stuff. Let me go punch stuff. He punches Uh, through his feelings. I eat through my feelings. He punches through his feelings. I also feel like the top of this page that we've got pulled up right now is kind of like a little womp womp on the plot. Like the ending of this arc, A, a couple of pages early, B, with just sort of like a, like Foggy looks defeated. Matt is like barely triumphant. The Marauder and the Gladiator give their very best Batman and Robin at the end of the 1960s TV special, like runaway kind of deal. Like, I just feel like this is, they really did have a three act piece and they decided that acts one and two had to be in the first one. And they also really over rely on the fact that you might care about these two people. Now, 
I project a lot of who Melvin is because so we I don't love even Melvin know Potter. his name. We don't even know exactly. His name. I actually uh, spent know, a lot of this. I I wanted to type the word Melvin because I was ninety percent sure that's that was his name was, and then I just went. I'm not making that mistake on paper for Ke- for Nico to laugh at. <laughs> I, I, but I'm with it. <laughs> you know, I we mean, don't know who he is. We don't get but, that like scientist on the verge of madness monologue for this guy. We just get I hate superheroes and their stupid costumes. And I think what sells that so short is like, you know, and even some of the art toward the end of this issue, it gets a little bit grotesque, a little Lon Chaney, a little, you know, a little hideous monster. And, you know, also Mask Marauder serving some supreme, you know, Phantom of the Cylons realness right now. But like, it's so weird that they would think that number one, we care about this partnership. They're not characters that matter to us and their faces are so obscured even if we know what gladiator looks like there's no humanity to connect within these characters and daredevil is such a book about humanity i'm not sure why i'd care yeah yeah i definitely i definitely agree with you that these are that normally we get foils for daredevil in our villains and these are the first these are the ones who are the least foil like for him so we so really is not Foggy the villain of this piece all along? Yeah. You know, Foggy really... And we see better versions of this later on, like the Guts Nelson story, or, you know, there's some Foggy you haven't gotten to yet, where Foggy also takes some very serious agency in his own life and is a very um, positive force for change. But this Foggy is kind of a dumb bastard. And... Mm-hmm. He's irresponsible. But what's weird is if Foggy's the villain, then Matt is also the villain because everything Foggy does is a reflection of Matt. You know, now that I'm looking at this panel of the two of them where where Daredevil is like looking over at him and Foggy's looking a little strange, it's starting to feel like the panels of Mass Marauder and Gladiator. Where Foggy yeah. is standing in for Gladiator and Daredevil is Mass Marauder. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if that's it's it's not the right parallel, but it definitely get, evokes that feeling of like the smarter one and the dumber one, the risky one and the organized one. Like it it's just it. It's an interesting thing that I've just noticed, so I can't really give you a full thought. Yeah, but I'm with it. Yeah. Like this really like seeing those two like back to back as Kevo keeps flipping between them really like set it off for me where I was just like, no, I've seen this like, we've seen this dichotomy before in mice even. Yeah. And it just makes you wonder which one's the Scooby and which one is the Shaggy. You know, which one really has all the devil snacks, as it were? I mean, in I, fairness, who is the Scooby and who is the Shaggy in Scooby and Shaggy? Like, this is this is some who is the boss levels of things. <laughs> um, Judith but, Light was the boss. She signed the paychecks. She could <laughs> fire Tony. But Angela? She? But she but Angela could, she? could fire but could Tony. She? But could she? She could. Could Angela she? could fire Tony. I think he's the boss if she can't really fire him. It's okay. Alyssa Milano is going to come in and do a spell on all of them. <laughs> anyway, 
all of this is to say is that we wrap up this huge arc and then we have like literal time to actually spend on the romantic trio, which we like, again, don't normally do. We are getting to yeah. the point with these, with these issues where they are balancing out the romance and adventure a little better, still a little choppily, but the panel versus panel count on each of them is getting closer to where it should be. Where it's like, I think it's best at like 60 adventure, 40 romance, but you know, around there, you live your life. Um, Karen kissing Foggy's cheek uh, is just like, and Matt's like watching and hearing, but it does lead to my favorite Matt moment. This smile, this super sensitive hearing, I love you. Like while he's like clutching his thing and be like, ha, ha, ha. That's my Matt. That's my I'm not Daredevil Matt. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, and then he's like, personally, I always thought he was really Captain America. Like, <laughs> he doesn't come in with a, a a dig at Foggy. He doesn't come in with, yeah, this fat schlub. He comes in with, oh, I always thought Foggy was the strongest, most, you know, terrific guy in the world. Like, and old as and, fuck. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he comes. You know, his it's his dad. I don't think it he's is his dad coming in. You know, mocking him. He's like, oh, I thought it was Captain America, gentle, good natured ribbing. I know I got the girl. I don't got to worry about the gentle, good natured ribbing. I got this. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's the fully ending is like, so sweet. It's so sweet. It's the laugh track. It's the moment of levity that we need to know that like everything's going to be okay. Like there's no hard feelings between any of them. They're all going to put their arms on each other and not look out the window. I don't know what they're well, looking at. They're not looking out the window at a giant shadow that oh. I mean, you really can't convince me that this was the intent. I accept that they're saying it is the shadow of the wing of the owl, but I... I think it would just... be better done if it was. That's what it is. That's that's the shadow. It's the owl. He's coming back. Um, I mean, I know he's coming back, but is that really like what they're trying to do there? I, I think yeah, it would be... and then look, it's his shadow on the cover right there. I know, but that shadow is so much more evocative of the owl than this like lumpy camelback. I think that they kind of realized there was a shadow there and they could use it to say something is coming. I don't think that really, I mean, it could be, we could start the next issue and it could really be, it's the owl right outside their window with a spotlight on his back. He has an early ring light, but I, I don't know. I think this is one of those, the art was there. So we did it. Mm. But see, like, the thing is, is that they do have to know enough to be able to write, like, a little weird tagline at the end of it. Where they're yeah. like, this trio will fix, face the menacing shadow looming larger, the trap. But I guess anyone can lay a trap. Yeah, they do avoid saying the owl in any mm -hmm. way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all said and done, I think I'm going to give this arc, like a really loving B plus. Um, I was going to say, yeah, like a 3.5, 3.7 out of five. Yeah. Yeah. A really loving B plus. The mistakes don't bother me that much. The mistakes don't bother me that much. It is a lot of character work for foggy. Karen's never oh, yeah. looked better. 
never looked better. Never. Um, honestly, that last moment of Matt forgives a lot of wrongs throughout all of here, including calling your best friend dad. Duh. Dad. 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 I am on, dad devil. Dad. You're, you're, we're going to flame cotton and I'm going to I'm going to show up and just start calling you dad. Hey, dad. Okay. Hey, dad. Uh, I'm going to start calling you dad. So, um, <laughs> you know, B plus really good time. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed this story because what it gave me in daredevil and Matt, it made up for any shortcoming. Uh, if I had any, anything I'd hoped for maybe would have been a little bit more clarity on how mask marauder is like an ongoing threat in the background for a hot minute instead of what felt like forgetting he was there at the end. I would have liked a little more introspection. I think that mm. I'm not one to say like pull everything apart, but if you have a three act structure and you feel like you have to shove two acts into one issue, just make it three issues. You're already a yeah. monthly title. You're going to get it faster than you would have if you'd done two back in the day when you were bi-monthly like yeah just do three issues you'd get to spend more time giving like the villain's background story we could have had a lot more introspection we could have had a little more back and forth of like foggy and karen we could have had like a mishap at a, at a dinner or we could have had a sequence of gladiator in the sauna like we could have had actual like gladiator and marauder together going up against Matt once their goons are down. Like we could have had so many totally. more things that I think would have really fleshed this out into something that would have made for like a low A. Yeah. Because it's still I get that. Marauder. Well, <laughs> we have a very exciting opportunity to come back to the first villain that we really cared about. You know, Owl. We love him. He's a lot of fun. Um <laughs> He's such a he's such a good stupid time. I love mm -hmm. Leland, and I'm really excited to come back. I feel like the book is getting better. Um, yeah, you know, it feels like since Kazar, it really feels like everything is getting better. That first twelve issues was really hard, but now that it's monthly, you know, it went monthly with number ten. I think mm -hmm. um, we've really hit a point where like I like this book. I like it a lot. I can, I'm still seeing the seeds of where it's going to come from. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that like the letters start to agree with us a little more in the future. Yeah. Well, I'm saving a couple for next time because Ooh. I believe next time we have a single issue story. So that leaves us a little bit more room to talk about, you know, elements Everything. and stuff, <laughs> but until we come back to take a look at another amazing classic Daredevil story or maybe discuss a recent piece of Daredevil news, a recent Daredevil announcement, or a special Daredevil project or re-release, Tori, where can everybody find you online? Again, I am Tori. I'm on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I. Where can folks find you, Nico? You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can also find our work on KidRiotComics.com, where you can find our amazing creator-owned comic, along with the guy producing this motherfucker, the amazing Kevo. You can also check out my original work in the Young Men in Love anthology, recently released, with incredible comic legends like Joe Glass, Cena Grace, Terry Bloss, and more. You guys can check out the partner show for this series, X's for Podcast, over at xsforpodcast.com and X's for Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, okay, I think that's everything I do. 
And um, hopefully, if not, I think it'll just have to wait till next time. And until then, I think everybody should stay stay fearless. fearless. We did it. We did it. everybody welcome back to the billy club the one and only show where we take a look at the many adventures of marvel's crimson crusader back with his first appearances in the 1960s we've made it to like 1967 things are getting interesting we are nico that's me at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n on twitter and instagram and i'm tori you can find me on twitter at tori underscore sheehan and on instagram at sm tori and of course you can find all of us at the billy club pod on all your socials and it is always a blast that you know these things where we take a look at what we want to do with a show you know these things kind of evolved the way daredevil evolved i don't know that everybody saw that it was going to be this sort of weird hodgepodge of romance stories when it all first started so i feel like it's sort of natural that our show evolved and so we've done some news specials that have been a lot of fun and you know so i know it's not exactly the way it's airing but this is our first time back to recording like meaty daredevil stories and i couldn't be more excited because we're taking a look at daredevil 20 and 21 and this has a return villain who's a classic villain it sort of misses some of the beats of hallmark daredevil and i'm really excited to take a look at this one for sure i um i was very interested in seeing the owl come back i was super duper excited i know he brings a lot of camp a lot of craziness and um i just you know, was was very excited to dig into these. Me too. I think one of the things that we're finally starting to get at what it's sort of misleading because we feel like we're a year and a half in because it's issue 20 and 21. Because, you know, back then, standardly, a book might do 12 issues a year plus an annual or 14 issues a year instead. And Daredevil would have much more likely been a 14 issue a year kind of book but the book shipped bi-monthly. So there were only six in that first year. And then we ran six more the second year. So by the third year, things switched to monthly. So we're actually like a little more than like three years into Daredevil. And it's really fascinating that we're starting to get a few more of the beats that are Daredevil-y. And I think one of the things that has me the most excited is Matt is starting to become a little bit more of a clear character. He might not be exactly my Matt just yet, but he's a lot more the Matt that I'm looking for. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one of the things that I notice is that we start to get a little more of Daredevil talking about Matt that is not as himself. Yes. And that was one of like the major tenets of our show early on. We said that there's like Matt, and then there's Daredevil, and they're not exactly the same guy, and no one struggles with that more than Matt Murdock himself. I think Daredevil's kind of fine with it. I think oh, yeah. in a lot of ways, just to kind of go to a weird place for a minute, Daredevil as a caricature of a superhero is kind of like a Venom symbiote. You know, He's sort of like a, a symbiote in that 
he's kind of fine with whatever Matt does that makes his life a little bit easier. The times where we see Matt really become at odds with the dual identity is when he's making things harder for Daredevil. He never seems to mind making things harder for Matt Murdock. And I think that's because one of the hallmarks of Matt Murdock's world that's sort of missing from this issue, but has definitely been an ongoing staple of what we've been discussing, is personal pain equals growth for him, even though he's not that Catholic yet. Yeah, for sure. I think we're definitely starting to see the feeling that Daredevil is, a, a, that Matt doesn't seem to mind when Daredevil thinks when Daredevil makes things harder because it allows him to feel like, well, this is just the, the consequences of doing, of going against my father's idea of don't, you know, punch things, read things. And I think that he really swallows that as something that you just has to handle because uh, he's already doing something very wrong by being a vigilante. And that'll tie into a lot of Catholicism as we go forward, because Ooh, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> well, if I may, what was Jesus but not the first vigilante? I mean, so, he was turning tables all over the place. He was fighting dragons, right? Definitely. Now, I think this two-parter also suffers a little bit from a lack of the supporting characters. So as we talk about this kind of classic you know i'm going to be pretty positive on it even though it doesn't have a whole lot going for it this two-parter doesn't have all of the karen and foggy i want and part of me wonders if that's because they can't have too much of the owl and foggy on the same panel mm -hmm. because they maybe still look a little too similar mm -hmm. yeah i i think i was now that i think about it i'm i'm remembering now that like we had like one page with karen and foggy and yeah. It's a lot of just it's it's just it's just constant goons and the owl and the judge and Daredevil and Matt and it makes me wonder if this is a product of maybe bumping this story forward so that Gene Colan doesn't have to do as much Matt face and Karen and Foggy face. I love your perspective, you know. So I'm going to be following along for the sake of reading on my tablet, which I really do love how bright the pages can look. Something that as much as I love my omnibus editions, they're prestige. You know, they're about looking a cool way. But like when I really want to get in there and examine some of the art, nothing is quite as accessible as these scans. And like, I also will admit there's, you know, as of recording this, a whole thing fuck ton of Anne Nascenti's Daredevil just hit Marvel Unlimited like they're listening to us. It's incredible. Oh but my God. the the scans that exist for a lot of those issues, they've always been kind of dingy and there's lossy quality. And I'm not saying people should use illegal scans because in the end that does hurt the creators that you love. Right? If they see there's a backswell for Anne Nascenti, they'll give her more work. So mm -hmm. you know, do be a doobie don't be a dipshit. Don't download illegally. So, but you know, do what you got to do. But so on this really pretty high quality Marvel Unlimited version, right? Uh, right there in the beautifully preserved credits, it says script by Smiling Stan Lee. What's up, Stan? Right. Hi, buddy. Penciling. Jazzy John Ramita had to polish off the 25 cent Spider-Man special 
I got to be honest, there's a few actors that have played Spider-Man I wouldn't mind polishing off this month. So look who generously offered to pinch hit for all ring-a-ding this-ish. Oh, ring-a-ding. Ring-a-ding. Tori, this is something that you would say to me is like, yeah, is that, you know, yeah, is this thing? Ring-a-ding. Like, oh, ring-a-ding Romita. Does that really feel like something they would be saying to kids in the 1960s, like late 60s? Does it feel a little bit no, more aimed at like a parent? This is old man. This is old man stuff. I don't know. How, how is Stan like what 30, 35 when this is happening? How attached is he to the 1950s lingo? Right? It's maybe because that was, uh, you know, Stan served time and in, in, in war, not like in prison. Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry, I was so sorry, Tori. <laughs> I, was like, so, I was like, okay, tell me more about the history of. <laughs> yeah, no, he was a, a prisoner of the system. Uh, no, the like, of the war system. Wow. Go. wow. So I guess, well, you know, the American prison system certainly needs some reforming. And that's something that Daredevil has hit in the last couple of years that I think is so important. And we're going to get there, you and I. Mm-hmm. But uh, who? So, I mean, I've at this point completely lost my point. No, Stanley, uh, because he was serving in the armed forces during battle time while he did not have a combat position he still definitely lost touch with some amount of society evolving and probably got a little bit frozen in the time before he left so i think he did have a little bit of that you know early 50s lingo burned into his mind and so in order to accomplish that gene colon comes in and does this issue with inking by fearless frank chikoa with lettering by the adorable Artie Simic and bad guy Boer, Honest Irving Forbush. So Irving Forbush is a famous Marvel gag. It's a no prize kind of thing. It's kind of built into the fabric of Marvel. And I want to just address the other, the other credits. What's really interesting about this issue that really took me by surprise is in the second part, the credits for inking, which now is known as inking, but back then would be known as things like delineation or, as it was shown here, inking or like um, polishes. Now, you know, pencils and finishes are two different things, you know, and now we kind of have rules for how we credit people a little bit better. Uh, but in the second issue, dynamic delineations are credited to Frank, Dick, and Bill. Hmm. <laughs> Is that just a bunch of Robins? I don't understand. Like, uh, I believe it is Frank Jacoa. I think it is Dick Iyer. And I would, you know, the minute I see uh, Bill Rosen. Oh, we've met Bill Rosen. So, yeah. Okay. Got there on air. Always great. <laughs> so I feel like this is one of those times where you can see that Daredevil is not the book that anybody is going hard for. Daredevil is just the book that's still coming out each month. For sure. And I think that shows up in more fight sequences where he's just like in generic fight pose or he's doing some flips where they're like, okay, I know these two angles that Spider-Man does. Right. Um, I think it's, it's, um, it's definitely some daredevil books that are not as um, specifically different looking than anything else they would have going on at the time. And I don't want to... Which wanna... isn't bad. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, not bad. bad. It just feels like swipes of earlier issues. Yes, yes. It definitely feels like someone is filling in. 
And it feels like specifically a swipe of that issue number seven that we're not crazy about that was in the Stanley all-time best stories at the castle with, you know, the guy and so that he may see. (laughs) And like, it feels like a bunch of swipes from that. And then it's Daredevil kicking in through a window. I, you know, so before we even get to that cover, because I do want to get to that cover, there's something about the proportions of Daredevil on that first page that are so comical. He, that I feel like, yeah, he's he's crazy looking. <laughs> he's also just so much bigger than the owl. If he's drawing back to punch him, like the owl's kind of like weirdly off kilter. Like like he's he seems smaller, but also his yeah. head is bigger, and so like nothing quite makes sense. And then, he looks like he looks like the actor that plays Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter movies. Yes. Yes. And then we get Daredevil on the inside cover and his feet is so large. His feet and legs is so large. As a guy wearing 13s, I get it, bro. But like, it's a weird angle, right? Also, does it kind of look like Owl's shadow on the cover has beady little eyes? Yes. 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 All right. The beady little eyes and a great cat eye. Like, can you believe? I can you the audacity of those eyes? I mean, you know, just keep coming. I have some issues once again with sort of cover misleading. We're definitely at a point where we know these characters, we know these creators. The owl has like violently different looks cover to cover. It is very inconsistent cover to cover on that first cover. He's in the very purple look with the you know, very yellow Wolverine kind of hair, but in the next cover, it's sort of like maniacal evil wizard hair, and it's white, and it's like whippier, and it looks like a different character to me. Yes. I'm certainly not coming for Gene Colan. The man did things for the industry that should always be remembered. But I just maybe feel like I'm not getting enough from these covers yet. You know, when we look back on Daredevil covers, we're kind of like, oh, right. There are covers, but like when we look back on Spider-Man covers, we're like, oh, holy shit, that's famous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely think that it's going to, for me, the the Daredevil covers that stand out are the ones where he's not punching or fighting anything or even really running or swinging. Like it's very much like a Daredevil wrestling with himself. In deep thought, yeah. yes, Yes, or like, or like looking, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that we'll get to in the in the 80s, but I think that this is just this this feels like they were like, oh, draw Daredevil fighting the owl. Okay. <laughs> Yo, you got it, guys. Thanks. Anything you want. Oh, what does the castle look like? Okay. Just put the big robot bird thing on it on the outside. Perfect. Which. How has the owl never opened a fucking airy casino? I just, he seems like such a criminal mastermind and he's just not ready for it. But can I say what else he seems like? A big, gaudy, flashy faggot. And let me tell you why. fucking queer. As a big old queer mo myself, I get it. I get it. You just <laughs> you want to be loud and fabulous and flashy and beautiful. But uh, my avian friend, 
you have got some design and image problems like you know be a bear be an otter be what you want to be be a condor but there's something about owl that's just like <laughs> it's it's not the best i very much <laughs> feel that he's doing villain drag but you know it allows him to have really great lighting <laughs> and i i just it, what a coat. I just, who's who the hell is wearing that coat in 1967? I have a lot of questions and none of them go well for the owl. I feel like I know a lot of drag queens who could serve really amazing, like sexy, beautiful owl looks. Yes. I know a number of drag queens that could do an exaggerated villainous owl, right? Like, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of owl mm. I love so much of this uh, and you know one of the things that i think is really fascinating is we are definitely in an age now where uh you know like 20 years ago joey q was like i have done a successful run of daredevil and now i am taking over all of marvel no spoiler covers and there came an edict at marvel that the cover cannot give away something inside interesting we are clearly at a point here <laughs> but that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Because I spent a lot of the first uh, nine or so pages being like, why are we dancing around who the boss is? Why are we doing this game? It is page 10 of the fucking book before we get like, it's the owl. And even then, it sort of looks like a Halloween lit foggy. Yeah. And. Oh. It's it's so inconsistent and it's so strange. And I also want to say that Karen looks pretty on brand a couple of pages earlier. I think it's mm -hmm. page eight. Karen looks really on brand. Mm -hmm. She looks terrific. I love her outfit. But yes. again, it does sort of feel like a best of Karen swipe. Yes. Yes. This is definitely like one of those things where it's like, you've seen this photo, you've seen this photo before, now draw it yourself. Because like, this really isn't her 1960s hair. It's definitely longer. It's, if it was shorter, I'd be like, oh yeah, it's a direct swipe. But it's just not the forehead, like the the bangs are different and, yeah. and a lot of stuff. But, and I mean, Foggy is generic, not Matt right here. He's looking fucking huge. He's like, looking very broad. Yeah, like as if Gene Colan thought maybe he's like a big mook. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. yeah. I I I feel like this is one of those things where you could be forgiven for thinking that one of the goons is secretly foggy in yeah. the first like ten pages. Completely. And coming off of the gladiator stuff this is just so fascinating yes well and then we go back to gladiator for the next fucking two-parter so it's like you know they knew they just needed to get out of this gene colon thing mm -hmm. and the only real commentary i have on these first few pages and i don't have a lot of commentary on them and there's a reason you know, page one of the interior that Matt swinging in looking like a really sexy red Gumby mm -hmm. is just like a big splash page with some weird proportions. Then we get some what honestly kind of look like swipes from issue one for three big panels. Then we get it again for four big panels. Then we get it again for five big panels. Then the next two 
pages or so really focus on these goons, which this could be any detective mag, any horror mag, any crime mag, doesn't really need to be Daredevil. And then once Matt's in, Matt looking fine in that beautiful mm -hmm. suit, whoever the mm -hmm. fuck colored this issue knew what they were doing by today's standards. Yep. With yep. Some of that inking, some of that shadowing. This is some of the most complex coloring I have ever seen on a 60s book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can see the crease on his suit. Like, it Holy is good shit, work. Yeah. It is really good work. Yeah. And I think... For me, this just kept being something that I was like, okay, 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 yeah. okay. I mean, it's nice to get an overhead view of Matt's apartment. It looks nice. Yeah. He has a real fireplace. Um, Ooh. I wonder what you'd have to pay for that now. 1.7? Like... It, it would be boarded up. Hands down, <laughs> boarded up. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, it oh. hurts, but it, it has to, or else your heating's going to be through the roof. But also, like, there's so many blind comments. There's so many, like, oh, a blind guy's not going to be able to. Oh, he's blind. He won't be able to. Yeah. There's so much of it. And Karen also then following it up with, it would be, but he's blind. And I'm just like, is this, a, is this one of those, like, you can start from here issues? It no, this is where like she it. got the name Karen. This is where Karen oh. comes from. It's her. <laughs> it's this Karen. <laughs> This but particular camp, this particular time. <laughs> so, like, he knows. He knows. Wait, does somebody not know that Matt's blind? Is that what's happening? <laughs> like, oh. And then, of course, they fly to a volcanic island, which means either they flew all the way across the country and then further to get there, or they're in Iceland, and neither of those are places where the where the owl can glide to safety. <laughs> you know, and I'm glad you brought up the flying. Did it feel a little? <laughs> did it feel a little bit like Gene Colan was like, "How many times can I get away with drawing the plane?" I was like, "It's a beautiful plane drawing." Like, Thank you. Beautiful plane work, Gene Colan. Excellent. <laughs> Beyond. But um, this isn't called Top Gun. So yeah, this isn't plane devil. <laughs> plane without fear, going to Iceland to fight an owl. But, like, he's he's not an Autobot. Uh, or is he? Oh my God! If Daredevil was secretly a Transformer. Everywhere would be blind spots. <laughs> we are as bad as lagoons in this story. <laughs> well, the thing I will give us that they don't have is their namelessness is actually sort of a cool hallmark of Daredevil. Yeah. Something that I feel like Daredevil does always have is because so often the X-Men are fighting a single bad mutant or a single wizard, you know, and I know Spider-Man has goons, but Spider-Man so frequently has like a that bad guy. Daredevil fights a lot of goons a lot of the time. And these goons, they, they feel like Daredevil mooks. And yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's it's a commentary on who used to be living in Hell's Kitchen at the time. And 
I, I think it allows for an easier transition to when we get to like Kingpin and people who are more mm. like criminal masterminds versus like working for someone with super duper powers. I really appreciate that perspective. You know, if I have a big complaint about this issue, it's that it does feel specifically like Stan Lee said, I have a drawer issue format. Let's slap it on here. In part because I think some of the best penciling work involves understanding the character's physical motivation, like the way a character moves. There's something about like the movement of an individual person, and just to gay it up as hard as I can for a second, Gene Kelly moved like sex on a stage. And to get Gene Kelly down, you literally need to move like melted butter. And if you can't capture that about Gene Kelly, I'm not going to believe your performance. You could sound just like him, but that's not the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. And Daredevil has a sensuality to his movement that you really need to understand Daredevil, the physical character, to nail. And it's not that Gene Colan isn't a wizard. But it always takes a few issues of grinding into that that feeling, that texture, that dough to really shape out that sort of crust of the character. For sure. I feel like he fights a little bit like Spider-Man and throughout yeah. a lot of this. It's a lot mm-hmm. of Thank like you. double yeah. punches and and all of these things. And our Matt's a little more our Daredevil's a little more fluid, a little more like yeah pop here, pop there, twisty, twirny all the way around you. And so it's just a very, it's not quite daredevil as we know it. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, we have people telling us that Matt is different from what we know him as. Cause apparently he's now the best trial lawyer in the nation, which is hilarious. This is something that comics used to get away with. And I've brought this up a lot on a couple of different shows that we do over the years. And I think it's time like we come up with a name for it. I think I would call it like the pre-rerun factor or the pre-streaming factor. And like the turning point is kind of Golden Girls. In those first few seasons of Golden Girls, they get away with telling the same story a hundred different ways. How Blanche lost her virginity or how any of them met their partners, or how old they were when something happened. But by season six, they were told TV is changing. And in season six of Golden Girls, they introduced two ongoing stories. Actually, one of them was introduced in five, but followed up in a significant way in six. And that's like 1991, 1992. Friends was one of the first shows that was really truly a massive hit in that era it's one of the reasons that you really kind of need to divorce most of frazier from from cheers because one existed in the pre-wikipedia era now that people can go online and verify these sorts of things it's a lot harder to get away with the constant evolution of the retcon without having it be a notable retcon this was at a time and place in comics history where thanks to the lack of availability of back issues or any material like that Creators could just sort of say, oh, no, didn't you know he's a hit? He's the bomb shit. He is the best trial lawyer in the nation and not they are poor 
at this. <laughs> now, in fairness, Matt is very good at his job. And Foggy is also apparently good enough to keep the lights on. And so <laughs> he shows but, up. But like they are not you cannot tell me that like I mean, originally I was going to say Clarence Darrow is still around, but he died in like 60, 61. But like, <laughs> there are other great trial lords wandering around. Sandra Day O'Connor's not on the Supreme Court yet. She's doing her thing. Like, don't, 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 don't and do this. <laughs> Jane Walters is out there. No one knows her yet. She, they don't meet her until 1980. Yeah. But. You know, and it's incredible because people just don't realize that She-Hulk's only been around since 1980, but she's been doing like the fourth wall shtick forever. And it's just relevant to bring up She-Hulk in a world where we're going to be covering Daredevil's appearances on the She-Hulk TV show when that should happen later this year. And I don't know. I'm really excited. I've been I, I've been loving this She-Hulk show. It's probably my favorite Marvel Plus Disney Plus, Netflix Plus, Hulu, whatever, because they've been on everything at this point since Daredevil. This is, it's just, it's going to be a great homecoming for him because when you look at this silliness, this lightness, this I am the owl and I will peck at you kind of nonsense. Yeah, there's room on a show where She Hulk is fucking breaking it down with Megan the Stallion, who I would yes. also kill for. Yes. And I mean, like, this is the owl's thing. This is the ultimate, like, Bond villain. I'm going to talk you to death. I'm going to do something so stupid, which is, like, bring Matt Murdock here. And instead of doing something that makes sense, which is, like, I'm going to murder the judge in front of you. <laughs> like, I don't, like, it. nothing, like, the goons are like, off, boss, just, just get rid of him, boss. And I'm just like, yes, get yes. rid of him. Do Please. smart things. Do the smart thing, <laughs> like get rid of get rid of the judge, get rid of Matt, laugh your whole way home, and that's that. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then Matt is like over here being like, the granite is falling from the walls and a testament to his crumbling sanity. I shall play along. And then he gets trapped at the end of Mousetrap. The trap is, here comes the net. Like, it's just frustrating. Like, all of this, and, like, we have tons. I have to say, of all of the issues so far, this is the one that makes the most use of a non-grid, where all of a sudden we have more vertical panels. We oh, have my God, more that lighting. was my favorite fucking thing in the world. That, yes. that dynamic, long parallel of the thick panel to the thin panel, and the action being a page, skew. Yes, page 18 Beautiful. is gorgeous absolutely Unreal. gorgeous and is really a a precursor to what we're getting in a lot of Mi miller miller and things like that it's yes. really great so good and is one of the best pages in i think the whole two issues because sure. there is no tension everything is bloated like we know where this is going like nothing is real like nothing has any real stakes to it yeah i feel that i feel that a lot because the stakes are just the owl versus daredevil yeah unfortunately by the virtue of where marvel is now in in their publishing history that feels a little bit more like an eight page story at most a full issue but two issues of this where it felt like half of it was pictures of airplanes 
felt like it just this doesn't feel like a really great use of my time and it makes me think that perhaps a single non-traditional spider-man special is worth more than two consecutive issues of daredevil yeah and i mean i get it i oh, yeah. get it <laughs> like up to what we're 20 issues in and this, and we are we have yet to figure out what we want to be and we are nowhere near where we will be or even where we will be for a little while before we become being so and i get it I, I get it too. Like I'm <laughs> like I'm defensive of it, I think, because I don't think this is a travesty. I I think this is just sort of a misexecution. Yes. Because like I mean, to me, I've been asking for more trial Matt for a while. If Forever. we'd gotten like some actual trial, like if we had actually done the thing where the owl maybe uh, grabs Matt. Wig. He no, he drags Matt Murdock to the volcanic island. He's gotten into a big fight with other criminal masterminds. He needs a. He's deciding to throw a trial. They're deciding to throw a trial. They need lawyers. They you got to come over here yeah. and help. The other guys brought some, or he thinks he can defend himself. Who cares? And then they battle it out, and Matt has to figure out how to drag Daredevil in here because they, like, I don't know, kidnapped a bunch of jurors. And then all of a sudden there's a volcano, and then they got to go, and, like, blah, blah, blah. That's how you do it. And instead that, we got this. That even feels like the kind of story Stan Lee would have given us back then. Right? So I don't even like, feel it's like... Not, it's not even that it's good. It's just, like... <laughs> There's a better way to do this. <laughs> it's a different kind of perfunctory, but it's a more fulfilling perfunctory. Yes. You know, yes. I feel like we do really get shortchanged on the trial. It's sort of just like, I'm the judge. Squawk. And that's it. It's just over. And Daredevil's caught. We go to the second issue. I sort of love the Owl Daddy, do you like my butthole kind of positioning on that first page of the second issue where daredevil's even got like his legs kind of like <laughs> squirming and owls behind him like rubbing his hands together well and, and stomping on his little knuckles or his manicure it, as he calls it later holy shit when daredevil's like i don't know i'm gonna tell my manicurist about this i was like nah. okay <laughs> Like, I just, oh, this is definitely like, too, this is like Liberace versus like uh, early Elton John where he's trying to pretend he's not gay. Like, this is yeah. what this is. And it is just, I would pay good money to watch a couple of drag queens redo this. Because, you know what, this version of the Owls not that far off from a Winnie Sanderson costume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to miss you know i think the problem is the whole second issue is a not great fight sequence until we get to the electronic bird and that's like seriously like 10 or 11 pages into the issue it's so just it's boring 
it's boring. It's early. It's again, some more early bond shit of like, no daredevil. I expect you to die. But the, oh no, the Billy club. Oh no. Yeah. We when he's like, it's finally time I use my Billy club. What is that your secret fucking power? Dude, it's a stick. Like, come on. And then like we, uh, and then the, everything starts crumbling down because I guess the owl just stuck his airy head on top of an already like non-infrastructured castle like and we're just dropping big rocks as plot points to move this along and then he's like oh follow me to the forbidden room what the what's, fuck what what's the forbidden room you I gotta go. you'll die <laughs> it's too I, stupid i have I, to go i was like you why don't you let the owl run to his forbidden room you grab the judge and you off the island before the volcano goes. But then we it, wouldn't get a robot owl. So like. And I love that mechanized owl because it took me like 45 minutes to realize that's what the cover is. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like it, it took me a while to figure out like. Why, like, I was originally like, Matt Murdock, Daredevil's in a really weird position here. And then I was like, oh, he's clinging. Oh, he's stomping. Oh, that's the owl. Robot. Okay. And I love that you were like, I guess he just plopped his Liberty Science Center-sized <laughs> owl dome on an existing <laughs> castle. But so here's my question. No one noticed this. Like, not even the Avengers, number one. They, they didn't notice okay. it when it was in the side of the Palisades, so... I can't. I can't. Somebody didn't notice the Palisades Mall before there was a Palisades Mall. <laughs> you cannot get parking at the Palisades Mall. Someone would notice this. And number also, two. What volcanic oh. island? Thank you! Where is it? Thank you. I, it has what? to be. Where is it? Where is this castle on a volcano that people are just dropping Liberty Science Centers on? I'm that curious. That is a biplane's like Thank gas you. thing. That he can move this fucking airy because he's not like it's it's not like the owl. Because like I don't want to apply over logic, but there is a <laughs> level to which. We need to accept certain things for things to work. How did the owl get this giant dome to wherever this is? He's not a billionaire. He's trying to become richer. He's got money, but he's not that kind of money. Uh, he's not like a Franklin Richards who doesn't exist yet, where he's just like moving it. So how, and if he does have somebody who can telekinetically move this thing, just take over the world. Like, and this so- to me, this is the point where you go, he has power over owls. And I'd be like, yeah, I bet owls could have built that. Okay, yeah. I would have been like, if, yeah, okay, the owls built that. You know, you just need to change some change some things in there, and it's fine. We can make it work. <laughs> it just feels like the owl is meant to be a very serious threat, despite being, like, just really you know leslie jordan levels of campy queer and i'm eager to see the owl become more threatening but the owl is always kind of like he's always like the sad sack daredevil villain he's never the big guy so you know it doesn't really go up from here (laughs) for quite a while for the owl 
the end of this issue, it just terminates. There's no Karen. There's no Foggy. It is just this prolonged fight sequence, and it just ends. It's a really odd it, ending. It ends so weird. And also, like, we are now at a fifth time or something now where someone's like, oh, no, where did Matt Murdock go, Daredevil? How, how did you get here? Where did he go? Are we not going to save him, too? And I'm just like, everybody, put it together. Just Daredevil it should together. just... He should just be like my secret powers, teleporting blind people. Oh, you have a blind person that needs teleporting? <laughs> Not this time. I have to recharge my devil batteries. <laughs> I have to get to the teleport lantern that no one can see because it's blind. <laughs> like, there's just, there's so little heart in this. Yes. There's a, just a lot yeah. of drama and facade and shallow just paint by numbers kind of thing and to me like the owl's first appearance in daredevil was like an issue that we were really like listen it ain't there yet but these are many uh, of the things that are coming yeah. and this one is just so it's 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 just like it's like all of the icing none of the cake and I wonder why, right? Because, like, it's not just that the gladiator is so hot. So hot. <laughs> so hot. It's not just that. He's also kind of got, like, a flair to his... his Because he's also pretty Hi. Vincent Price queer. And he's got like a reason to his flair this guy's just like i like owls <laughs> i mean i love this robot bird it is the floofiest little but it little robot bird you've ever done seen but at the same time also it's a robot bird that has no lasers no guns no bombs no nothing like it's just a swooping metal thing <laughs> and i just it's not even doing what owls do, which is probably remaining silent because we haven't figured that out yet. And I just, it's so much drama for so little stakes. What did, And no like, payoff. And no payoff. Like the owl escapes again. Like, and it, it even says, would. it says literally, we figured this was as good a place to end as anywhere. Like, and we've got the judge, but like, I guess the judge matters. Yeah, who is this judge? This is, is the judge that sentenced him way back in number. No, three. but I mean, like, but who is this judge? Like, okay, we got this judge. Like, it would have been better if they were like this judge, this retired judge who is now up for X Y Z, and you're like. Mr. Soon-to-be Senator, please, blah, blah, blah. Matt's former law professor or um, a, a judge who gave them uh, an early shot on an early case. Uh, someone who makes them matter to Matt because even beyond the lack of stakes, Matt shouldn't just let anybody die to save himself, but... Matt invests an awful lot of time in these capers, not remembering there's someone else, and then at the last second running to get them. Yeah. 
his whole like, oh, the goons won't hurt him until the owl <laughs> says so. And I'm just like, they're goons. They may they're just like like turn around, elbows flailing, and pop him in the nose, and he's done. What if one of them thinks he's going for a gun to shoot the owl? You know, it's it's not bird hunting season. They got to protect their boss. So I think the key thing to remember about these early Daredevils for me is the magic of comics is frequently the collaborative experience coming together to shape the character. And so far, two people have really written Daredevil and... That's not really enough people. We had that Wally Wood fill in, and of course, everything else has been by Stan Lee. And it feels as though with only five pencilers under our belt, though five pencilers, the number of pencilers on Daredevil by now far exceeds the number of pencilers on Amazing Spider-Man at this point and far more issues. Fantastic Four and far more issues. In fact, until Stan Lee left the title, the only penciler on the title was Jack Kirby, and they had an unbroken run. You know, on Amazing Spider-Man, it was predominantly Ditko and then Ramita, who, after this special, everybody's like, oh, that's the Spider-Man guy. So I'm really ready for that other voices feeling to come in and directly shape the character and not just kind of oh i'm, I'm penciling the the red guy this month oh you you're on the green guy you're doing the muscle guy yeah i'm on the the skinny little red guy you know like i feel we're just not at the the soul of daredevil yet but they're really trying to get there yeah i definitely feel like this return of the owl is a benchmark for okay like we don't need to keep introducing new heroes new villains to see what sticks we we do have someone who he can go up against a few times and we're when we want something big um and i think this might have also been them trying out what if there is no romance in the comic i get that like because it's all just nothing like we don't even re- like we get like one speech bubble out of Foggy that says something like, uh, "If only she knew my feelings for her." Blah blah blah. But like, it's really not. It's mostly just like, "Where's our friend? He should have met us, but he's blind." Like, and so like, I think this is you know outside of the of the Kazar issues. Like, this is them seeing like, okay, what if this was just like a crime spy-ish kind of thriller superhero book with very little girl stuff. I get that. I really see it. I think it's frivolous, Mm. but I'd still, I'd still give this two parter like a B, not like an excited B, not like a go read this, but this is far from the worst filler I've read and if, you know, somehow the owl became a huge villain in the near future and Marvel did a the owl omnibus and this was like, you know, in the first five issues of owl content. Yeah. OK, it I think it reads poorly in the run of Daredevil, but I think it reads fine in the run of owl. I, I think and you saying compared to other fillers, and I think that that's what would definitely raise my grade. 
because you saying it's a B daredevil, it, like you're giving this issue a B, these issues a B. I was like, oh, that is very generous. But you're right. It compared to other filler, it had a plot, it had a fight, it had fight scenes, like it had some excitement with a robot bird, an airplane, and, and all these kinds of things. So, like, and a volcano, like it's interesting. It's, yeah. It has it has a bunch of stuff that makes you go, okay, like that's exciting. That's tough for Daredevil to deal with. So I definitely hear you on that. Yeah, I mean, I would still give this a, a solid C, but okay, in comparison to other filter filler, like yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot higher than the other ones. I'd like to see a little bit more Karen, a little bit more foggy. I know when they're too much, I'm also kind of complainy. So I'm looking for like three to four pages of Karen and foggy, not eight to nine and mm -hmm. not just one in two issues. Yes. But, you know, other than that, I like where the book's heading. We're, you know, almost at the midpoint of the Stan Lee era. Everything really changes around 50 and we're a third of the way toward you know, really seeing the 70s take hold of the title and the sort of change that comes with that. So I'm excited. I'm feeling good about even these issues that I'm not loving because Gladiator comes back next episode. But, you know, that's that's just because yeah, he's so hot. Yeah, yeah. And I think I... I think the idea that they were even going to show Matt in a trial is also like a huge step forward for them, mm -hmm. that they're still aware of the idea of there is a dichotomy to Daredevil. We are going to see him be a lawyer. It can't just be all Matt like wandering around sad about Karen and then it's Daredevil Truly. who takes over everything else. Like I think, I think we're going to start seeing more lawyer Matt, more, uh, more, um, differences between the two i'm very excited so well tori until we come back to take a look at daredevil 22 and 23 where can everybody find you on the interwebs they can find me on twitter at tori underscore sheehan and on instagram at sm tori that's tori with an i where can folks find you nico well, you guys can find me on the partner show to this series over at xsforpodcast.com and xsforpodcast on twitter where we cover all sorts of amazing comics every month, as well as diving into like specific runs. We're currently taking a look at the MC2 on Mondays. We are like 18 episodes out of 30 episodes into that project, examining all of the ways that shaped comics and was shaped by comics. It's been a really exciting project. You guys can also check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N as well as my original work alongside our brilliant producer, Kevo and Tori, where we all make Kid Riot over at Kid Riot Comics, which is an amazing story about a coming of age superhero learning what it means to save the day with a number of incredible friends. You can also check out my original work in Young Men in Love, a recently released anthology where I am accompanied by unbelievable industry talent like Anthony Oliveira, Joe Glass, Cena Grace, Terry Bloss, and more. All right, I think that's just. Oh wait, no, the other shows on this okay. channel. We got, we got more, we got more stuff on this amazing network here. Yeah. At Husbands Plus, we got Hubs Plus Network on YouTube. You can check out more amazing footage from HTML, my and Kevo's podcast. More amazing footage from X's for podcast, including extended coverage 
and plenty more stuff you don't want to miss. For sure. If, especially if you want to know what Kevl's like. Aww. <laughs> so, Tori, I believe until next time, we only have one directive. Stay and that fearless. is stay fearless. Stay fearless. Stay, stay fearless. Stay, stay it. Stay, Just stay, stay, it. Just stay, stay, stay it. Stay it. Stay, stay. Don't, do, don't do other stuff. Don't, don't, no, no, no. Don't, don't give in to fear or something. Don't. <laughs> no fear. 